symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. Turn it on and rip the knob off. Guys, and welcome back to the Wrestling Memory Grenade. We're all the way up to episode 74 as we continue on with our definitive edition of WrestleMania 3 this week. Yes, it's WrestleMania 3, part 2. And this week, we do continue on with WrestleMania 3. Last week, we discussed the WrestleMania 3 pre-show, the Federettes, the mini ring carts, the Can-Am connection, proving to the tank and the technician, that's the magnificent Morocco and ace cowboy Bob Orton, that they're more than just pretty boys scoring the win over the longtime WWF veterans. Also, we saw the battle of the big men, the battle of the full Nelsons, Hercules Hernandez, excuse me, now just Hercules, battling Billy Jack Haynes to a double countout. While the war will continue, it seemed like Hercules won the battle here at WrestleMania, drilling Haynes between the eyes, not once, not twice, not even three times, four times with a steel chain wrapped around his fist, Hercules, bloodying Billy Jack Haynes and then adding insult to injury putting him in his own finisher, the full Nelson, before leaving him lying in a pool of his own blood. Also last week, we talked mixed tag team action. King Kong Bunny, his team of Lord Littlebrook and Little Tokyo, taking on the team of Hillbilly Jim, Little Beaver, and the Haiti Kid. It was Hillbilly Jim's team that scored the win after Bunny decided he was going to body slam and elbow drop Little Beaver, which was a no-no. Because remember the rules last week, the big guy's in with the big guys, the little guy's in with the little guys. Bunny didn't obey. Well, neither did Little Beaver, for that matter. And you can't really say that Beaver didn't have some of that coming. Nevertheless, Bundy attacking Little Beaver, giving Hillbilly Jim's team the disqualification win there. From there, it was time for the King Harley Race to step in the ring and defend his crown. The King's crown on the line and the Queen of Wrestling, Moolah, by his side for this event. Harley Race defending that crown against the JYD, that's Junkyard Dog. Race successfully gets the win thanks to interference, or at the very least, a distraction from Bobby the Brain Heenan on the floor. Harley retains the crown, and the dog, a man of his word, did kneel, did bow before the king, but he also went a step further, J.Y.D. even crowning the king. With a steel chair, that is. Dog then steals the cape from Harley Race and rides off into the sunset in what was meant to be the swan song for J.Y.D., though we will see him back here later in the summer of 87. The action continued from there as the Rougeau brothers looked like they were scoring the big win, Le Bombe de Rougeau, on Greg the Hammer Valentine, the Rougeaus looked like they had the Dream Team put away, but it was outside interference from Dino Bravo, the thorn in the side of the Rougeaus. Bravo interferes, allowing the Dream Team to steal the win. Post-match, we saw Bravo, Valentine, and Luscious Johnny V leave partner Brutus Beefcake all alone in the ring. They wanted nothing to do with him, left him ringside. They were done with him. It appears as if the Dream Team is no more, at least the way we remember it. Now, Beefcake did accidentally hit Valentine earlier in the match, but they still got the win. Nevertheless, Beefcake no longer with the Dream Team, thus foreshadowing what was to come in the next matchup, which was the main event, if you will, of the first half of WrestleMania 3. It's Rowdy Roddy Piper in his retirement match, scoring the win over the adorable Adrian Adonis in a hair versus hair match. Brutus Beefcake returning to ringside to exact a little revenge on Adonis, 
aid Roddy Piper and cut the hair of the adorable one, thus earning the nickname The Barber in the process. And all of that took us into intermission. Six matches down and six more to go. More big action on the way, including six-man tag team action with the former tag team champions, the British Bulldogs, teaming with the former Intercontinental Champion, Tito Santana, taking on the trio of the current WWF Tag Team Champions, the Hart Foundation, Bret Hart, Jim Neidhart, and their newest partner, former referee, Dangerous Danny Davis. Of course, that trio managed by Jimmy Hart. Davis aided the Hearts in stealing the tag titles from the Bulldogs. And if you believe the retcon they're telling here, Davis also cost Tito Santana the IC title to Randy Savage more than a year ago in the Boston Garden. Should be an exciting match to get things going here this week. Also this week on The Grenade, we're going to talk Birdman Coco Beware taking on the natural Butch Reed. Then from there, one of the big ones you've all been waiting for, Intercontinental Champion Macho Man Randy Savage defending his title against Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. It's the Dragon's Last Chance. In Savage's Corner, you know there's going to be the lovely Miss Elizabeth. But in Steamboat's Corner for WrestleMania 3, no, not a man, but rather an animal. As in George the Animal Steel. Looking forward to talking about that one with you guys. Also, Jake the Snake Roberts coming for revenge on the Honky Tonk Man later here on the card in WrestleMania 3. And the Killer Bees take on the team of the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. And rumor has it, Hacksaw Jim Duggan is in the building. So you know what that means if Big Nick begins to try to sing that Russian national anthem yet again. Wouldn't want to be the Sheik or Volkov. And then in the big one, the main event, the one we've all been waiting for, the reigning three-plus-year WWF champion Hulk Hogan, slated to defend his title against former friend, the eighth wonder of the world, and 15 years undefeated, Andre the Giant. And just like last week, we'll continue to talk the storylines leading in, break down the matches, the post-match altercations, a multitude of fun facts you may have never heard before. We'll continue to look at Dave Meltzer's star ratings as well and see if I can continue to agree with what he came up with. So far, we've been pretty close with our star ratings, but I feel like the wheels are going to come off before this show concludes. Later on, we'll also talk the fallout of WrestleMania for both the WWF and other promoters as well common misconceptions, and even false narratives others have put out there in the past in regards to this epic event. We'll also discuss the layout of the referees, the way they place the referees on the show. Very interesting. We'll look at some financial figures, some of the wrestlers' payoffs. Playoffs? You kidding me? Playoffs? Plus, we'll also look into the talent the superstars missing from WrestleMania 3. All of that and sound bites galore here this week on The Grenade. Once again, it is part two of WrestleMania 3. And a reminder, you can listen to the Wrestling Memory Grenade and all of our sister shows as part of the WrestleCopia podcast network on WrestleCopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com. And everywhere your podcast streaming needs are met, from Apple to Spotify, Google Pod, Pocket Cast, Audible on Amazon, and beyond. Also, make sure you stop on over to our YouTube channel. You can find us at YouTube.com slash Grenade. Not only do I try and post timely videos that complement our projects here on The Grenade, but also any other random goodies I might find from time to time as I continue to preserve my VHS collection by converting it all to digital. Subscribe now, guys, so you never miss a new video, dropping them weekly on YouTube. And as always, I ask you guys to check us out on social media, specifically Twitter, where you can find us at Rasslin Grenade, that's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade Home of the free prize giveaway. Also follow and like us, facebook.com slash wrestling grenade. 
Be sure to follow us on Twitter and or Facebook for your chance to enter and win all future free prize giveaways. And once again, congratulations to both of our winners from last week's episode, Matthew Hopper and Gabriel Adams of the Honky Tonk Man and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat autographed 8x10 promo picks. More new free prizes to be announced in the weeks to come. And all you have to do is follow us on Twitter, follow and like us on Facebook for your chance to win each and every future free prize giveaway. It's that simple. And I've said it before, I'll say it again. It's a great idea if you do have social media to follow us at Wrestling Grenade for all the latest news and happenings going on in all of the WrestleCopia podcast network. And if you haven't tried it by now, I promise you guys now is a great time to be a patron. WrestleCopia patron, that is. Yes, it's patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That's patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. Multiple tiers to choose from. But I'm simply asking you to give us a try at the $5 all-access tier. $5 will get you all of my insanely detailed show notes from the Wrestling Memory Grenade and Monday Warfare Raw vs. Nitro. And very soon, all of my show notes from the Regional Wrestling Podcast, where we talk the territories. That show will be making its debut very soon as we take a deep dive back in time to 1977 in the WWWF. Special guest for those shows? He is the host of the Stick to Wrestling Podcast, a member of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. It's John McAdam going to be joining our Regional Wrestling Podcast to kick it off right as we talk 1977 and the WWF, but getting back to Patreon, yes, you get all of my insanely detailed show notes for all of the shows here on the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, but you also receive early access to many of our podcasts. Yes, you can listen days, sometimes even a week before the rest of the listeners. From there, it's our Patreon-exclusive watch-along series, where we go back in time and cover many WWF and WCW pay-per-views, Saturday night's main events, Clash of the Champions, Coliseum videos, and so much more. Then from there, we're now offering remastered versions of the earliest episodes of The Grenade, covering the NWA 1989 project. What does remastered mean, Ray, you might ask? Well, first it means enhanced sound quality, but also new content originally edited out of the initial broadcast, edited right back in. And last but certainly not least, our most recent gift added to the all-access tier, it's digital downloads. Yes, wrestling digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure, all of that. For the low, low price of $5, that all-access tier gets you all of my insanely detailed show notes for The Grenade, for Monday Warfare, and soon the Regional Wrestling Podcast as well also gets you early access to many of the podcasts, our Patreon-exclusive watch-along series, remastered versions of the earliest episodes of The Grenade, covering all of 1989 and the NWA, plus now, yes, digital downloads, as I just mentioned. And the best part is... No subscription. Cancel any time. Give it a go for a month, and I think you'll like the content we offer. And every penny of it goes right back into the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. So please help us pay some of the bills to keep the Wrestling Memory Grenade, Monday Warfare, the Regional Wrestling Podcast, where we talk the territories, all of that, and more, up and running for the years to come. All right, with all of that out of the way, it is time as we continue WrestleMania 3, the definitive edition, here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. (laughs) 
welcome back to the second half of this WrestleMania 3 extravaganza. Two big title matches still to come, plus a whole lot more. Boy, you're not getting here. Gorilla, you know, it feels real strange you just call a grown man Gorilla. Well. Aren't we missing somebody though? Where'd Jesse go? Uh, very obviously conspicuous by his absence, He's Jesse the Body Victor. I know exactly, Mary, where he is. He has insisted and demanded that he be introduced to this capacity crowd from inside the ring. Believe that, Bobby. I don't believe it, and I'll tell you where he is. He got a little uptight before when I went downstairs with the fabulous Moolah, and that's where he is. He's with her right now, and as soon as we're done here, I'm back downstairs, buddy. Let's go to Howard Franco. You too? You got it. All right, we are back up in the announce booth. It's Gorilla Monsoon standing by there with Mary Hart and Bob Euchre. And we return with Howard Finkel introducing Jesse the Body Ventura to the fans. Ventura now in the ring gets his big 10 seconds of fame. Before the next match begins, Ventura in the ring with the heels for the next matchup, greeting the Hart Foundation, Danny Davis, Jimmy Hart. Is Jesse the Body here? And this won't be the last time we see Ventura acknowledged at WrestleMania. Didn't really think this was needed, but I could really see Ventura wanting to be down there and just get a feel for all of this. I'm sure the wrestler inside Jesse wishes he had been part of the in-ring competition, but hey, he does a tremendous job, an MVP-type job here for WrestleMania 3. As we see the heels already standing in the ring awaiting their opponents, the Bulldogs and Tito Santana, but first we go to a pre-tape promo from Jimmy Hart and his Hart Foundation. All right, Jimmy Hart, but he say you're running out of time for the Hart Foundation. Let me tell you something, baby. The whole world knows that the Hart Foundation, they're the world tag team champions. They're the greatest team in professional wrestling today, the Anvil. And Brett, the hitman Hart. But now we're going to unleash our newest member, Dangerous Danny oh. Let me tell you something, Tito Santana. You want a war? You've got a war. The British Bulldogs, you're the biggest crowd babies I've ever seen in my life. Well, let me tell you, baby, you better come to the ring and you better hold your heads up because I promise you this, when we finish with you, there's going to be nothing left of it. You understand that? So it sounds like Jimmy Hart has his boys ready as we head back to the ring. Of course, already we know the Hart Foundation, Danny Davis, awaiting their opponents, heading down on the ring cart are the British Bulldogs, Tito Santana and Matilda, the Bulldog who Mary Hart really takes a liking to. We've talked about this in long form over the last several weeks on The Grenade, but the story here is that Danny Davis, once a trusting WWF official, had been making, well, questionable, if not downright blatant, bad decisions as a referee for the last, say, four or five months. And Davis had been costing baby faces their matches left and right on TV. Finally, the last straw saw him enable the Hart Foundation to take the tag team titles from the British Bulldogs. In reality, it was Dynamite Kid's severe back injury that forced the title change. But don't let that get in the way of a good storyline, guys. Of course, as we know by now, they also had a little bit of retcon fun here, claiming that Danny Davis also purposely cost Tito Santana the Intercontinental title back in February of 86 in the Boston Garden, giving the belt to the macho man Randy Savage. Now, that was in all actuality a good seven, eight months before they started planting the seeds of the Danny Davis turn, but a good way to work Tito Santana into the story nevertheless. Finally, after costing the Bulldogs the belts the following week, Danny Davis rushes out to ringside trying to take over as referee for a match involving Tito Santana versus Terry Gibbs, but he stopped in his tracks by President Jack Tunney. Finally, Tunney had seen enough and announced over the loudspeakers that he was suspending Danny Davis for life. From refereeing here in the WWF, and much like the Hot Rod's retirement, for life means about two years, as we'll find out in 1989. But immediately after being fired as referee, Jimmy Hart signs Danny Davis to a wrestling contract as the newest member of the Hart Foundation. And this entire angle was hot as hell when it first went down. P. 
People sometimes forget just how over this angle was and how much heat Danny Davis had at this point in time. And looking back, people remember Davis is mainly doing jobs while he was wrestling in the ring, but you better believe this shit was over at the time of WrestleMania 3. An ultimate heel was Danny Davis by this point. So this marks Davis's quote-unquote debut in the ring, if you ignore his run as Mr. X and the few matches he's had on the house shows heading into this big event. But we ignore all of that. For storyline's sake, this is the official debut of referee Danny Davis. It's now wrestler, dangerous Danny Davis. And I look around the ring here, Tito Santana, the British Bulldogs, the Hart Foundation, all in one match? Well, hell, this can easily rank in the top two matches on the show in regards to a wrestling capacity, you would have to believe. And Jimmy Hart, after just taking an ass-kicking before intermission in the Adrian Adonis-Roddy Piper match, he comes right back out here for more action. What a trooper is Jimmy Hart here tonight. And I highly doubt this was planned, but as we return from intermission, the sky above has changed. Yes, it appears to be getting darker here in the Silver Dome. That nice dark blue tint coming through the dome means that the sun is beginning to go down for the second half of WrestleMania 3. And Davis has added long tights to his gear now, for the better, I might say. But his gear still looks like something off the dollar rack at the Goodwill. And if you've ever seen Danny Davis wrestle as the masked Mr. X, you'll note that he has a decent physique. So he's not wearing this full body costume to hide his physique. But what Danny did have was noticeably a bad case of body acne. And you can see the scars on his face as well from earlier in his life. And he also uses full body gear to cover his forearm tattoo that he had as Mr. X as well. WWF very big on covering those tattoos, trying not to give things away. We've seen that with Smash recently, Barry Darso, painting up his tattoo on his arm to hide the fact that somebody might notice him as Crusher Khrushchev. And Danny Davis, now he goes from wrestling in trunks, striped trunks now, to a full body outfit, which, given how awkward those trunks looked, I'm all in on this decision. So the baby faces hit the ring, and Matilda is right after Jimmy Hart. Hart Foundation sent to the floor and whipped into each other on the outside, then the Bulldogs. Pick up dangerous Danny Davis over their head and press Danny Davis over the top rope right out of the ring on top of the Hart Foundation at ringside. What a way to get the crowd right back into things after intermission. What a great opening spot. And unfortunately, the press slam, you can see it coming, but you don't really get the full effect of it. The camera misses a little of it. There is a great picture, an old uh, wrestling trading card picture of said press slam, but just a very cool way to get the fans right back into things, get the action flowing with something high impact like using Danny Davis as a projectile, tossing him out of the ring down onto the Hart Foundation, and that's two years in a row that the Anvils had to catch somebody in such a spectacular way. Last year, it was Bret Hart and the Battle Royal with Andre the Giant. This year, it's both Hart Foundation having to catch the launched Danny Davis. Nevertheless, a fun bump, and I should note that Mary Hart Bob Euchre sticking around for commentary here with Gorilla Monsoon, because remember, Jesse Ventura was down at ringside, and it's going to take a few minutes to get back all the way back up to Gorilla Monsoon. So the camera actually cuts to Jesse Ventura riding back on the ring cart, holding Matilda. Very interesting there. Jesse Ventura seemingly taking orders from a female dog. It's bad enough that you gotta take orders from a dog. <laughs> but you gotta take orders from a bitch. <laughs> and I should note, as we get going, the referee for this matchup, Jack Kruger, as things slow down and we get things going one-on-one, -on -one, Tito Santana and Bret Hart going to kick things off here. They get things going with a little wrestling on the mat, but quick tags. Sees everyone get into the match pretty quickly, except, you guessed it, Danny Davis 
wise to stay on the apron. Let the wrestlers do the wrestling. Thus far in the matchup, the baby faces take over control until Tito Santana backed into the heel corner and is triple teamed by all members of the Hart Foundation. Meanwhile, on commentary, Mary Hart wants everyone to know she is absolutely in no way related to any of the Hearts in this match, but she enjoys their hot pink numbers, guys. Santana finally manages to escape the anvil and tags out to Davy Boy Smith. Smith comes in a house of fire with a nice backdrop on the anvil, but then Bret Hart distracts Davy Boy and the Hart Foundation take over for just a brief second before Bret Hart misses his second rope elbow drop on Davy, and it's time. Dynamite Kid tags in. Let's see what Dynamite can do. Remember, it was just a couple weeks ago on TV. Dynamite Kid noticeably selling that back. He came out to ringside. He and Davy Boy to uh, watch a Tito Santana versus Greg Valentine matchup, which actually aired the weekend of WrestleMania 3. And it was noticeable that Dynamite, he had to kneel to watch the match and then use the apron to even pull himself up and prop himself up. So it's going to be very interesting to see what Dynamite Kid does here as he tags into the matchup. Dynamite keeps the Bulldogs on the offense. Hard Irish whip sends Bret Hart chest first into the corner. Bret Hart taking his infamous chest bump as Dynamite then drops a headbutt on top of the hitman. But the anvil runs a distraction and the Hart Foundation are right back in control. This time getting heat on the Dynamite Kid. Not sure that that's wise. But the kid fights back for a snap suplex on the hitman. But the anvil prevents it and Hart gingerly works over the back of the Dynamite Kid. So the kid teasing for his patented snap suplex. They have it like Jim Neidhart puts a stop to it. But in reality, I don't know if Dynamite can even deliver the move at this point. Great tease there, though. And the Hart Foundation back in control on Dynamite Kid. They appear to be taking it easy on Dynamite given his injuries, but the Hearts even bust out the demolition decapitation maneuver. The anvil with the backbreaker and the hitman off the middle rope with the big elbow sends the kid down to the mat. As we heard it back in the first matchup, Gorilla Monsoon once again using the moniker The Excellence of Execution here to describe Bret Hart in this matchup. At that point, I came to the conclusion, you know, Bret Hart and Bob Orton should have had a match for the rights to this nickname. One thing's for certain, Gorilla Monsoon was going to make sure that this moniker stuck on someone. So with Dynamite Kid down on the mat, now is the time. Finally, yes, Dangerous Danny Davis tags into the match for the very first time. And the cocky, evil, heel, former referee Davis comes in, takes a couple of cheap kicks, a couple of stomps on the kid, then runs over and tags right back out of the match as the crowd is hot at Davis. Loud boos here for the cowardice act of Danny Davis coming in, taking a couple of cheap stomps on Dynamite Kid, and then right back out of the ring. The crowd sees it as cowardice. I see it as wise. So the Hart Foundation right back on top of Dynamite before Davis tags back in a second time, takes another couple cheap shots, struts around a little before tagging back out, and the fans are eating it up, booing the hell out of dangerous Danny Davis. This dude knows how to get heat, that's for sure. So the heels continue on the offense before Danny Davis makes his third tag now back into the ring. And this time, the Hearts try an assisted slingshot splash into the ring by Danny Davis. And I know Davis can pull this off. I've seen him as Mr. X actually bust out a springboard spot before. But in this instance, the Heart Foundation attempt to assist Danny Davis on a slingshot splash into the ring. But up go the knees of the Dynamite Kid. Danny Davis landing right onto the knees of the Kid. And it's hot tag time. Hariba, Tito Santana tags in, and you know who's legal? It's dangerous Danny Davis. Uh-oh. And Santana goes right after the former referee, knocking the Hart Foundation both off the apron so they can't come to assistance. Tito Santana with a big backdrop and the flying forearm on Davis. But Tito, he doesn't want to go for a cover. 
Tito Santana looking for the figure four as he spins the leg of Danny Davis, but out of nowhere comes the anvil blasting Santana with a clothesline to the back of the head, sending him down to the mat, saving Danny Davis at least just for a moment. Tito, though, able to make the tag out to Davey Boy Smith, and now it's Davey's turn to get a little revenge and work over the former referee. We even see a callback to WrestleMania 2, Davey Boy ramming the head of Davis into the Dynamite Kid standing on the apron. Now, needless to say, Dynamite doesn't take that crazy bump off the ropes to the floor this year, but I do love the callback there. Davis getting rammed in the head of the Dynamite Kid since Dynamite can't do a whole lot in the ring, still getting involved here in the revenge on Danny Davis. From there, Davey Boy Smith with the Tombstone Piledriver on Dangerous Danny, and then a big vertical suplex as Davis looks like he's in another world. No idea where he is. This could be it for Team Heart Foundation as Smith sets Davis up for the big patented running power slam down on the former referee. But Jim Neidhart in again stops the count as Smith looked to have the win. And Tito Santana out of nowhere, coming off screen, blasting Neidhart with a giant flying forearm. Awesome spot there. Great looking spot by Tito Santana. Flying in from off screen, smashing Neidhart with a flying forearm for his interference. And eventually we've got all six men in the ring. And during the confusion, Jimmy Hart tosses Danny Davis the megaphone Davis winds up smashing the megaphone upside the head of Davy Boy Smith and somehow manages to get the pin. Danny Davis steals the win. He does it yet again, screwing the Bulldogs and Tito Santana one more time. Danny Davis pins Davy Boy Smith with that megaphone shot. Eight minutes and 49 seconds to the crowd's dismay. And what a travesty of justice as the Hart Foundation dragged poor Danny Davis out of the ring and to the back. Davis doesn't even know where he's at yet manages to steal the win over the British Bulldogs and Tito Santana here. What a matchup. What a fun way to get back into things after intermission. And just like the first half of WrestleMania, we're going to look at Dave Meltzer's star ratings and some of his comments for those ratings. Then we're going to compare my thoughts as well from there. And here's what DeMeltz had to say in regards to this six-man tag team match. He said, it's very sad watching a guy who in his prime was as good a worker as the decade has seen reduced to being a virtual cripple. And even sadder, a chemically stuffed cripple, referring to Dynamite Kid, obviously. The Meltz goes on to say, the heels really took it easy on Dynamite, which hurt the match since he was in for four minutes of it. After that, it turned into a good match with Hart and Smith in particular looking sharp. I'll throw Tito into that as well. From there, Meltzer says, Davis wasn't in much, but he seemed out of his league. Working with a super talent like Davey Boy Smith, Meltzer gave this match two and three quarters stars. All right, now we'll move on to my thoughts in regards to this match. And before we get to the actual wrestling, let's talk about the announcers for this match. Remember, Jesse Ventura was out of the commentary booth for this matchup. Instead, it was Gorilla Monsoon along with two celebrity guests, Bob Euchre and Mary Hart. Now, right away, you might think, "Uh uh-oh, and I don't mean Susan St. James, WrestleMania 2, uh-oh. In most other years, having two celebrities calling a match with you could mean doom. However, in this instance, announcer-wise, I thought Mary Hart, and even more so Bob Euchre, did a phenomenal job for what they were here. For celebrities, they were far from embarrassing, very engaging in the matchup. Mary Hart knew a little bit about the storyline, even calling a few of the moves. Meanwhile, Bob Euchre got it, as usual, even pointing out that when Tito Santana finally got his hands on Danny Davis in the matchup, he had been waiting over a year for this moment. It's obvious, unlike some of the other celebrities of the past and future, These two, Mary Hart, Bob Euchre, all in for WWF, all in for WrestleMania. They were down to do whatever was asked of them. 
not just there for the main event roles, the guest ring announcer, the guest timekeeper. They were easily 100 times better than last year's Kathy Lee Crosby or, or Susan St. James. You can thank her husband, Dick Ebersol, for that spot. Not going to completely shit on Elvira because, well, she's Elvira. Now, as for the matchup, it was indeed unfortunate to see Dynamite Kid in there at less than 100%. It really doesn't look like he belongs in the ring at this point. I really can't imagine how bad off he was here and still managed to work the show, though we obviously didn't get to see the Dynamite we were used to seeing. As we've discussed in some of the previous episodes, he had already returned earlier in March, but he had been protected up to this point, working five-minute matches, not even tagging in in some of those matches. He was noticeably much smaller here as well than before he left with the injury back in December of 86. So got to point that out as well. Dynamite Kid losing a few pounds, not able to work out or do some of the things he was doing prior to the injury. And I won't hold that against him, but I still feel like he had no business in the ring here. And so while the heels went easy on the Dynamite Kid, it was Tito Santana and Davey Boy Smith really shining in the offense here. Good stuff with Danny Davis getting in the cheap shots throughout the match, walking around with a little cocky strut, tagging back out, and then eventually stealing the win for his team. Tito Santana looked especially good during a period where it appeared he may have been slipping down the totem pole as far as the spot on the roster goes. Tito Santana really shined in this match as well, I thought. So the storytelling in the match was Tito Santana, Davey Boy Smith both got their revenge on Danny Davis, beating the living crap out of him for several minutes before Davis, though, comes back and steals the win for his team. And I looked at the babyface side of things, but I have to say the Hart Foundation were on as well here. All around solid match. Hate that the cameras missed the Bulldogs pressing Davis outside onto them at the start. Again, though, remember, guys, there's a great WrestleMania trading card of that spot out there somewhere. In fact, I remember the first time I got that card back around 1991. I was like, when did that spot take place? I hadn't even realized that this spot happened until I saw the trading card. Then I went back to find where it happened in the match. And lo and behold, it was happening right at the beginning of the match. Just real cool stuff. And I digress. We get back to this. Dynamite Kid absolutely gets a break here, given the fact that he had no business even near the ring. Overall, this was pretty much what a match should be. I give it about three stars, just above what Dave Meltzer rated it. So we're still on the same page. Thus far, Dave. Now I'm going to give you a little flashback to the child in me. Let's go back 35 years to when I was a kid. Now, as a kid, this finish bothered me for years. I didn't understand why a former referee was pinning a top baby face, even with the megaphone being used. I was expecting the faces to get their revenge here. Naturally, we all were. Why didn't they? I couldn't figure it out as a kid. It bothered me for years. In my mind, and I know this wasn't intentional on their end, They were telling long-term storylines here, but it neutered the Bulldogs, pun intended. But as I got older, now I get it. Psychology. Danny Davis just started wrestling. He needed the win to keep the story going, to keep the heat going. You guys are keeping the story going, right? Well, I guess we'll find out very soon the future of dangerous Danny Davis as a wrestler. But WrestleMania rolls on. We head backstage. Mean Gene Okerlund standing by with the challenger to the WWF Championship. It's Andre the Giant along with manager Bobby the Brain Heenan. With me at this time, manager Bobby the Brain Heenan. And I'm privileged to be standing next to the most extraordinary athlete of all time. He is not elected until this date to challenge Hulk Hogan for the heavyweight championship. And this afternoon at WrestleMania 3, Bobby Heenan, your man, Andre the Giant, will be doing just that. You bet he's going to be doing just that. He's going to become the heavyweight champion of the world. And I'll tell you why. First of all, the man is undefeated in over 15 years as a professional athlete. 
Hulk Hogan has never been in the ring or met a man bigger than him, stronger than him, taller than him, that weighs more than him, and with a burning will inside more than Andre the Giant. You see, Hogan, few short hours from now, that clock is ticking, and it's ticking in our direction, not yours. Hulkamania is over. Hulkamania is dead. The door's going to be shut on the history books of Hulk Hogan once and for all. There is a new heavyweight champion of the world, the odds-on favorite in Las Vegas and all over the whole wrestling world. They're picking Andre the Giant. Nobody can defeat this man. Nobody even can come close to defeating this man. And Hogan, I know what's happening to you now because it's happening to me. The butterflies are in my stomachs. The adrenaline's flowing through my veins, and I'm getting ready because I'm going to manage the heavyweight champion of the world. And Hogan, hey, you had three good years. You got nothing to look back on, but it's all over. Andre the Giant, the new heavyweight champion of the world. The biggest heavyweight title bout of all time, Andre the Giant, to meet Hulk Hogan. All right, so the brain reiterating that there will be a new champion tonight. And Andre the Giant, Bobby Heenan, rocking an awesome-looking white tuxedo for this special occasion. Now, Andre, on the other hand, doesn't speak a word in this promo. Very stoic-like, very zombie-like state is Andre the Giant here. Very creepy, as he doesn't move throughout the entire promo, just standing, staring straight ahead. Almost Frankenstein-like, very creepy, Andre the Giant. This monster looks ready for his crack at the WWF title, but the show goes on, and it's back to the ring for the Birdman. Coco, beware, he's headed down to take on the natural Butch Reed. Slick in his corner, not a whole lot behind this one. We've seen on TV Coco, beware, aid George the Animal Steel and Tito Santana in their matches with the natural Butch Reed, usually thanks to the outside interference of Slick. Coco usually coming out to counteract Slick and his shenanigans. Coco, also the man who eliminated Butch Reed from the Saturday night's main event, Battle Royal for those keeping score. But the Naturals' real feud at this point in time is honestly with Tito Santana. But Coco makes a nice secondary match for WrestleMania nevertheless. As we head to the ring, referee here, John Bonello, former wrestler himself, and the Slickster, the first time we're seeing the Doctor of Style tonight, rocking a new suit as well, a golden-like suit. If only Jive Soul Bro existed in the time of WrestleMania 3. But out next was the Birdman, Coco Beware, on his way out to Morris Day in the Times, The Bird! Yes, back in the day when a few real songs were still being used for entrance themes. This is just briefly before the pile driver theme will take over. Coco Beware hits the ring with Frankie. So everyone involved making their WrestleMania debut. Reed, Slick, Coco, yes, even the macaw, Frankie. Wonder how much he got paid. And back just in time for the next matchup, Jesse, the body Ventura returns. We see a shot of the announcers high atop the Silverdome. And we catch something very interesting here as we get an over-the-back shot of Gorilla and Jesse here. As we see Jesse Ventura doing his infamous nervous twitch as he rocks back and forth before realizing he's on camera. You know, Tony Schiavone and several others have told that story that when Jesse Ventura would sit and do commentary, he would actually rock back and forth. It was almost like a nervous twitch of sorts. Jesse Ventura calming himself down by rocking back and forth while doing commentary. You actually see that here before Ventura realizes, oops, I'm on commentary and straightens up. And wouldn't you know it, realizing he's on commentary, the body being the body, he turns around to show off and pimp his new WrestleMania 3 t-shirt he's now wearing since returning from intermission. Very cool there, no shame in Jesse's game, rocking the WrestleMania 3 t-shirt. I'd love to get me one of those. As the body also says, his good friend Barry Blaustein, looking forward to this match between Reed and Coco Beware. Does that name sound familiar to you? Barry Blaustein, the man behind the Beyond the Mad documentary. Name dropped here at WrestleMania 3. 
And the body also channeling his inner Bobby Heenan here as he has a revelation about Coco Beware's middle initial. You know, of course, Gorilla, the B stands for buckwheat. No, it doesn't. Oh, yes, it does. Give me a break. He told me he's got a brother, too, named Stymie. Get out of here. Where's a derby? I remember this line like yesterday. The B stands for buckwheat. Has a brother named Stymie. Where's a derby? Oh, Jesse. And I have no idea why they waited for Coco to get in the ring before we hear the intros for this matchup, but we're rocking a Michael Jackson white glove, a throwback to his PYT days, no doubt. And as the bell sounds, Butch Reed claims a hair pull right out of the gate, which is funny, all things considered. Not a lot there to grab from the natural. But the Birdman glides over a body slam attempt and tries a roll-up, but Reed grabs the ropes, blocking the spot. Coco beware, though, with a dropkick, sending Reed over the top rope and out to the floor. Then once back inside, Coco telegraphs a backdrop, and Reed lowers the boom. As we see an over-the-beak shot of Frankie, it looks like Frankie's trying to eat the ringside camera. I wonder if Vince deducted that from Coco's pay. And Butch Reed barely musters some generic kick-and-punch offense before Ware reverses a whip into the corner and takes over with a hip toss and some nice drop kicks. Ware comes running off the ropes with a cross-body block, but Butch Reed uses the momentum to roll over on top, hook the tights of the Birdman, and Butch Reed steals the quick win in just 3 minutes and 38 seconds. Wow, that was fast. Post-match, Coco Beware goes after the natural, but Slick cracks his cane across the back of Coco Beware, repeatedly hammering the Birdman down to the mat with the cane. It's the Slickster, but before Slick and Reed can put the Birdman out, Tito Santana returns to ringside, makes his way down. Wow, that was fast. Tito out of nowhere. And I have to wonder, was he already down there by this time? Because Tito shot in the ring like a bolt of lightning. Now you have to remember, we talked about it going into the match. Santana has had his issues with Reed and Slick going all the way back to January when Santana slammed the manager Slick in the middle of the ring. And since that time, Slick has generated a few attacks on Santana as well. And here Tito Santana returns to save the Birdman, maybe get a little revenge for himself as well. Tito manhandles the Doctor of Style here, ripping the suit off the Slickster and then from there, it's Coco Beware and Tito Santana teaming up for a double dropkick, sending Butch Reed out of the ring. But the poor Doctor of Style, humiliated, having his suit ripped into pieces in the middle of the ring at WrestleMania, of all places. Butch Reed and Slick hightailing it out of there as Coco Beware doing the bird. Tito Santana joining him on the mini cart as they head backstage, and we conclude yet another match at WrestleMania. And so much like Brutus Beefcake earlier, I wonder where was Tito Santana at here? Because as fast as Brutus got to ringside, at least he had a cue. At least Adonis put Piper in the sleeper and he had a bit of time to get down to ringside for his spot. Here with Tito Santana, yeah, he knew the spot was coming, but he shot in the ring the minute it was time for him to be there. So it's, it's kind of curious that the six-man tag took place prior to this. Was Tito at ringside this entire time, ducking down, keeping an eye on things? Seems a bit silly for Tito to go backstage and come back out about five minutes later. Now, here's what it said in the Observer in regards to the Reed and Ware match. It says, Coco showed nothing, and Reed looked terrible. It's just saddened to see what injuries have done to these former super athletes. Bluntly, Reed stinks, says DeMeltz. He gave this match a half a star, and he says only for the post-match antics. Now, here's my thoughts. Going in, it's very obvious, a bit of a size difference here, but Coco Beware always worked extra hard to get past that. And I do agree with the Melts. This wasn't much of anything, but with the time given, it was all it could be. The opening sequence went about a minute, the heat maybe a minute, the comeback a minute, and then it was over. 
The match itself really was a dud, not really the fault of the guys involved, but a dud is a dud. But I have to agree yet again with Meltzer, Butch Reed has really been dragging ass in recent weeks here in the WWF, and nothing by way of a wrestling match, but yet another match that left the fans with something memorable at the end. There's the key again, guys. And it appears at this point, Tito Santana versus Butch Reed will continue on. DeMeltz gave this match, what did he give it? A half a star? I think he was being generous. I give it a quarter star here. Again, though, I could see, okay, half a star for the post-match antics. Okay, Meltz. But again, one of the matches that weren't given very much time concludes with something very memorable. So the excellent booking of the show continues on, and we continue on. And oh, man, it's finally time. It's finally here. It's one of the matches you've really been waiting for. Intercontinental champion Macho Man Randy Savage defending that title against Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. And here on WrestleMania, we see a recap video going back in time to the fall of 1986 where Savage initially put Ricky Steamboat out with the larynx injury, but we'll talk about all that in just a little bit. Right now, we're going to go to -to back-to-back promos, a pre-taped promo with the Macho Man Randy Savage, and then it's off to another interview. This time, Mean Gene Oakland going to be standing by with the challenger, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Ooh, yeah! Macho Man Randy Savage, Intercontinental Heavyweight Champion, was in a state of shock when Ricky the Dragon Steamboat came back, yeah. But this time, in front of the largest audience in the world, I will not only embarrass you, not only pin you with the one, two, three count, but I'm going to put you out of wrestling for good. Oh, yeah, Dragon. I am the Lord and Master of the Ring, and you're going to find that out one athlete to another right now. You can't be with me, no. History beckons the Macho Man, yeah. Well, that was the Macho Man only moments ago in our interview area. And now, here he comes making his way down the runway here in the Silverdome, Pontiac, Michigan, the reigning Intercontinental Heavyweight Champion along with Elizabeth. And I'll tell you, Macho's looking good. Elizabeth is looking good. Everything's looking good, Gorilla. Even you're looking kind of good. Listen to the ovation given to the Macho Man, Jess. Oh, yeah. Hey, I'll tell you. Here in Detroit, they they uh, they like the Macho Man here in Detroit. Let's go right now to meet Gene Okerlund in the interview center with Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. All right, Ricky the yeah. Dragon Steamboat, someone special, George the Animal Steel in your corner. However, in my opinion, this could be your last shot at Randy Savage and the Intercontinental Title. My last opportunity, Randy Savage. The day has finally come. The minutes, the seconds, we have reached our moment. As you and I climb into the ring, we clash like two titans. But there will only be one winner. One winner, Savage. This dragon is breathing fire. This dragon will scorch your back. I will come away with the championship belt and see new horizons. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. My God, that Macho Man promo for as fun as the one was earlier with Miss Elizabeth and Mary Hart. We talked about it on the first half, episode 73 of The Grenade, the first half of WrestleMania 3. This one far more intense. Intensity, intensity, intensity. Aha! History beckons the Macho Man. Ooh, yeah. Ooh, yeah. History beckons the Macho Man. Ooh, yeah. Over on the other end, the dragon says he is all fired up. I think Tommy Rich might have something to say about that. I'm sure there's a pun there somewhere, the dragon being fired up. He says he will scorch the macho man's back and see new horizons. Steamer never too good on the promos. He's going to do his real talk in the ring right here and right now. 
but I do love the intensity on both the Macho Man and Ricky Steamboat heading into this matchup. Now, we started to touch on it when we were talking about the feud video, the feud recap video that they played prior to the promos, but back last year, these two would compete in a match on WWF TV for the IC title, which would end with Randy Savage crushing the throat, the larynx of Ricky the Dragon Steamboat with a double axe handle first driving a double axe handle from the top rope into the back of Steamboat, driving his throat into the top of the guardrail, and then inside the ring, Savage coming off the top rope, driving the ring bell once again into the throat, into the larynx area of the dragon. Now, Ricky Steamboat will be stretchered out of the arena where we would learn that he suffered a crushed larynx, and he may never be able to speak again, may never be able to compete again, and he's lucky to have even survived this entire ordeal. While Bruno San Martino went after that slime, you piece of slime, the Macho Man, vignettes would air week to week of Ricky Steamboat's doctor advising the dragon from returning to the ring. Even his wife Bonnie Steamboat making a comment on the situation. Of course, she had to get herself in there. And we even saw clips of Ricky Steamboat going through therapy in order to learn to speak again. Now, as we all know by now, Steamboat would make a surprise return during the January 3rd edition of Saturday night's main event during a match between Randy Savage and George the Animal Steel. And speaking of the animal, the dragon wasn't the only one with issues in regards to the Macho Man because George Steele has had his own issues with Randy Savage going back over a year. Remember, Steele and Savage even competed at last year's WrestleMania. And we all know by now the infatuation the animal has with the lovely Miss Elizabeth. Most recently, on the March 14th edition of Saturday night's main event, Match saw Randy Savage once again pitted against George the Animal Steel with Elizabeth on the line this time. As a prize of all things, yes, Miss Elizabeth on the line is a prize in a match between the Animal and the Macho Man. Savage barely escaping that one on a countout after using a lifeguard chair as a weapon to win the matchup. But the issues with Steamboat continued at the end of that contest and later in the night as well during a Steamboat and Iron Sheik bout. The two men wanted at each other badly. Well, wait no longer. Here it is. The match many have deemed the greatest WrestleMania match of all time, the greatest match of the 80s, the match that changed the business. You can call it whatever you like. One thing's for sure, it has a very special place in professional wrestling history. As we get going here, we see the referee, Dave Hebner, for this one. And it's the champion, the Macho Man, entering first with Miss Elizabeth by his side. Out next, the challenger, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, and of course, escorted to the ring by his corner man for this one, George the Animal Steel. And the bell sounds. The match begins as we see some feeling out by both men. The dragon with counters early on, but the Macho Man's eyes catch George Steele on the outside, maneuvering toward the corner of the lovely Elizabeth. And Macho Man hops out of the ring to reposition Elizabeth to the other side of the ring, hoping it might take George another at least 15 minutes to figure out how to walk around to get to Elizabeth yet again. Macho Man going to have to keep his focus, however, on Ricky Steamboat here if he wants to retain the title. And the match starts off with the intensity you might expect. Quick maneuvering around the ring by both men. Steamboat with some deep arm drags. And then even picks Savage up by his throat. Double-handed chokehold. Steamboat holding the Macho Man up in the air for a little revenge. An eye for an eye, a throat for a throat. Before throwing the Macho Man down onto the mat. Randy Savage finally powders out of the ring to regroup here. As Ricky Steamboat means business. To the floor now, the Dragon chases Randy Savage around ringside. As Macho Man takes over. When Steamboat slides back into the ring, and it doesn't take long for the Macho Man to go back to the injured throat of the Dragon here, but Savage misses a corner charge, and Steamboat takes over on the arm of the Macho Man. 
And it's back and forth as the Macho Man right back on top after managing to throw Steamboat over the top corner post and out to the floor. Hell of a bump. Randy Savage doesn't bother tossing Steamboat over the top rope. No, he points to the corner and runs straight across the ring, pitching Steamboat over the top rope, over the top corner post. Hell of a bump by the Dragon. From there, the Macho Man relentlessly going to the throat and working over the back of the Dragon. Macho with a nice knee drop into the sternum gets two. And Steamboat retaliates, chopping Savage and tying him in the ropes. Savage manages to get free before any harm can be done. Nice reversal spots by both men. And Steamboat with a body block and more deep arm drags and tackles, but goes to the well once too many times. And Savage nails him with a high knee in the back, taking down the dragon. Randy tries to toss Ricky over the top rope to the floor, but the dragon skins the cat right back inside, only to be met by a Macho Man clothesline that knocks Ricky right back over the top rope and out to the floor. Another nice bump to the floor by Ricky Steamboat here. Really cool spot as Steamboat gets tossed over the top rope, skins the cat back in, but as soon as he turns around, the Macho Man waiting, he's seen this before, clotheslines Steamboat right back over the top rope to the outside, and Steamboat not short on taking some great bumps here tonight. As the corner man, George the Animal Steel, comes over to check on Ricky Steamboat before Randy Savage from behind another high knee into the back of the dragon, Sends Steamboat over the ringside table, take that Mel Phillips, and into the crowd. Ricky Steamboat goes flying over the table, over the guardrail, and into the crowd as George Steele aids Ricky back to ringside, helping him back over the guardrail, trying to help him back into the ring. Jesse Ventura on commentary complaining about George Steele preventing a count out here. Gorilla Monsoon doing the babyface thing, defending it because George Steele isn't really a manager, Jess, so he can do anything he wants. You remember that, Monsoon. Back to the action with Steamboat back at ringside. Savage perhaps still looking for a countout victory here, flinging the dragon right back over the top rope and right back down to the floor. And from there, the Macho Man climbing to the top rope, double axe handle off the top all the way to the outside. Then sends Steamboat back into the ring where Savage again climbs to the top rope with another flying double axe handle, this time inside the ring. Then Savage with a running elbow before making a cover, but only a two count. The Macho Man then doing his favorite leverage spot, grabbing the back of Ricky's Steamboat as Savage runs across the ring, leaping over the top rope, dropping Steamboat throat first across the top rope, springing him backwards. Great spot there. I always love when Randy Savage used that top rope clothesline. Savage would just run across that ring, throw caution to the wind, leap over the top rope himself as a projectile, using himself as leverage, snapping his opponent's throat down over that top rope. Usually Savage stops the gloat, but in this instance, rushes right back in the ring to make a cover for another near fall. And the Macho Man stays on top of the challenger with an atomic drop and yet another two count, and then with a textbook suplex from the Macho Man. And again goes for the cover for yet another two. Macho Man relentless here, going for cover after cover. He wants to win this thing and put Steamboat away. Great storytelling as the match goes on. The Dragon begins to fight his way back with martial arts chops, but the Macho Man goes to the eyes of the dragon and hits a nice-looking gut-rich suplex for yet another two-count. Macho Man then trying for an atomic drop, but this time the dragon slides over his back and lands on his feet. The two men begin to trade shots as Savage charges ahead, but Steamboat backdrops him over the top rope and out of the ring, returning the favor from earlier on, and what a bump from the Macho Man. Nobody took the backdrop over the top rope better than Randy Savage. Savage comes rushing at Steamboat, Steamboat dips his shoulders, and boom, just like that, Flying backdrop, Savage goes flying over the top rope, 360 out to the floor. The only time I think he may have done it better, maybe Royal Rumble 90 with Dusty Rhodes, but holy shit, 
What a bump by Randy Savage eating a backdrop to the outside. But Steamboat wants the belt. He wants revenge. He throws the Macho Man back in the ring. And then it's the Dragon coming off the top rope with his karate chop. Remember, he's been using that move as of late to put his opponents away. The Dragon makes the cover. One, two, but Savage gets his foot on the ropes just before the referee can count three. And the fans are really starting to erupt here. You can feel this thing begin to peak. The crowd is ready to explode at this point in the match. They can taste the title change coming, as can the Dragon here. As Macho gets knocked back out to the floor, Steamboat follows him out, but Savage beats Ricky back inside. But it's the Steamer with a slingshot sunset flip back into the ring for a near fall. From there, the Dragon with several more pinning combinations for near falls over and over only gets him two each time. The crowd on the edge of their seats. Steamboat catapults Randy Savage into the corner post and then rolls him up for yet another near fall. From there, it's Steamboat with the O'Connor roll, one, two, then Savage reverses the roll up on his own, and my God, we've seen this. If you've been watching this match on the house shows, you know this is how Savage has been stealing the win, reversing that O'Connor roll, so I love that they factor it in here. Savage again reversing the O'Connor roll on Steamboat for one, two, no, Steamboat kicks out, my God, when will it end? It goes on with Randy Savage grabbing Steamboat by his trunks, using this leverage to pull Steamer face first into the corner post. Both men down for a brief second before back up with reversals on whips, and Savage ends up tossing Steamboat right into referee Dave Hebner. And down goes the official. Dave Hebner down on the mat. And Savage drops Steamboat on the mat and goes up top for his patented flying elbow. And it connects. Randy Savage connects with the flying elbow drop. But there's no referee to make the count. The Macho Man's being robbed. Savage realizing he has the pin, then looks over and realizes that Dave Hepner's out of it. But rather than revive the referee, the Macho Man decides to go to the outside. He tosses down timekeeper Mel Phillips, take that Mel Phillips, and grabs the ring bell. Savage going to finish Steamboat off for good this time. This is the same weapon Savage used to crush the larynx of the dragon several months ago, and should it connect again, this could be it for the dragon. With the ring bell in hand, the Macho Man begins to climb to the top rope, but here comes George the Animal Steel up onto the apron, snatching the ring bell away from the Macho Man. As Steel tries to walk away with the bell, Savage boots Steel in the back of the head, great camera shot there, just stomps Steel in the back of the head, yanking the ring bell back, does the Macho Man. As down goes the animal, and oh no, it looks like the end of the career for the dragon as the Macho Man again has the ring bell and again begins to ascend to the top rope. Savage makes his way up all the way to the top rope, ring bell in hand, but George Steele back up, this time on the apron, and it's the animal shoving the Macho Man off the top rope into the middle of the ring. Savage taking a bad fall there into the ring. The ring bell goes flying as well. As referee Dave Hepner begins to come to, the Macho Man first to stagger to his feet. He's still in control here as he tries for a body slam on the dragon, but Ricky Steamboat counters with a surprise small package. One, two, three. Ricky Steamboat. Yes, Ricky Steamboat wins the Intercontinental Championship. The Dragon wins the match. 14 minutes, 35 seconds. And Ricky Steamboat will leave the ring in celebration with George the Animal Steel by his side. As we see Ricky the Dragon Steamboat clutching that intercontinental title, holding it up to the fans as he leaves ringside of the ring cart, George the Animal Steel 
by his side, swinging on the monkey bars is the animal using the ropes here in the mini ring cart. In celebration, the animal and the dragon leave the ring while the macho man is shown sulking as he and Elizabeth climb onto the ring cart, riding away a dejected macho man with his head down on the ropes, sulking, you might even say crying, as we see the saddened Miss Elizabeth by his side. What a match. What a memory. Ricky the Dragon, Steamboat, and Randy Savage, never to be forgotten. And here's what DeMeltz had to say about that when he said, it's been almost one year since I've seen a WWF match of this caliber, the last time being a Savage versus Tito Santana match at Madison Square Garden in April of 86. In fact, this match was better than any match on Crockett's Starcade show last Thanksgiving. Tons of near falls on both sides, some exceptional spots, and the match built up in excitement from the beginning. When he's on, Randy Savage is one incredible talent, the equal of anyone in the business besides Ric Flair. Really, Dave? Both guys did an excellent job in making it so that even though Savage lost, he lost none of his steam because he appeared stronger throughout the match. Dave gives this match four and a half stars. Four and a half. All right, Dave. All right, so I'm going to share my thoughts on this match, and then I'm going to give you a few interesting pieces of uh, historical tidbits here, as according to the Macho Man's brother, Lanny Poffo, the referee of this match, Dave Hebner. So let's get going with my thoughts. I wrote our very first intercontinental title change in WrestleMania history. There's not much I need to sell you on here. Almost everyone has seen this match by now, and if you haven't, you really need to, guys. The intensity... The great natural ability from both. And yes, even the pre-planning paid off in this one. Because as a fan, I don't give a shit how you get there. Just as long as you get there. And this, this got there. This delivered. Bar none. I was really glad they didn't overdo the Steel Elizabeth saga. They touched on it right at the very start of the match. And then it went in the background, never to be mentioned again for the rest of the match. I love that they touched on it early. And then it was all focal point, Steamboat and Savage in this one. Just a really great back-and-forth match. The tide was always turning. We didn't see that a lot back in those days. Lots of near falls, something like 20 to 22 false finishes in this match. These guys were going for the win. Very believable. It just kept you on your toes, knowing that either man could win at any given minute in this one. Big win for the Dragon, who would blow this all away in record time by asking for some time off almost immediately after this event. But we'll get into that on a later episode of The Grenade. As for this match, this was one of those matches that had everything you need to call it a perfect match, and they somehow managed to configure George Steele into the story, get involved, and everything still made perfect sense. You really couldn't complain. DeMeltz gave this thing four and a half stars. You know, for years, I've rated this thing a few times online when I've wrote my little pay-per-view reviews and things like that on websites in years past, and I've never given this match five stars. I've typically, really honestly, gave it around four and a half like DeMeltz. There's always... Something, I was wanting something a little more. But in 1987, I don't know how this doesn't get five stars. Blows my fucking mind. Now, 35 years later, four and a half stars. I'll, I'll do that right now. If I'm doing 2022 rating, four and a half stars. How Meltzer gave this thing anything less than five stars in 1987. Show me your fucking five star ratings in 87 and, and earlier Melts. And I know they're out there, guys. So feel free to send them my way. But the fact that this thing didn't get five stars in 87, kiss my ass. Dummy, yeah, dummy, yeah, dummy, yeah, yeah. Unbelievable, these two. Just unbelievable. We're going to talk a little more about that right now. We're going to look at what Lanny Poffo had to say about this one. He said, Randy asked to work with Steamboat, 
specifically, and he volunteered openly to lose the Intercontinental Belt during their program if he was granted his wish. Plan, scripted, line by line, but so what? They performed it amazingly. Hepner was chosen early on to be the referee supposedly handpicked by the macho man Randy Savage due to Hebner's intensity when counting the falls, which was very pivotal, very important here. 20 to 22 false finishes here. Randy Savage reportedly handpicked Dave Hebner due to the intensity when he counted the one, two, threes. And so not only did Steamboat and Savage have to learn the match, but so did Dave Hebner in order to be in the right place at the right time and make sure he was there for all those false finishes. Talk about a workout. Referees are people too. From there, Lanny said that Randy had a meeting before the match with Hebner and Ricky Steamboat. Randy said, here's the deal. We're not going to put heat on the referee here. Dave, if the man's shoulders are down, you count to three. And I don't care if that ruins the finish. Whoever's shoulders are down has the responsibility to get their shoulders up. Because if the fans can't believe in the finish, they'll lose the drama. Wow, Randy Savage, after putting this whole thing together, goes to Dave Hebner and says, I don't care how spectacular this looks like on paper. If somebody's shoulders down, you count the three. Match over. And a true testament to both men, they got their shoulders up more than 20 times in this one, right when they were supposed to. Really good stuff there. Now, as far as that story goes, it was told to Dave Hebner, and here's what Hebner had to say. He said, that's true. That's a true story. If I would have hit the one, two, three, and it wasn't supposed to be the one, two, three, it would have been over. You would have had 93,000 people that were really pissed off, and it could have gone really bad but Randy and Steamboat just worked their butts off, and it was one of the most exciting matches of all time. Couldn't agree more, Dave Hebner. Now, as for Steamboat in this match, he says he has only one regret. Looking back, Steamboat lamented that amid their 22 false finishes, they didn't do one where Savage kicked out of Steamboat's diving crossbody finisher, and that was because finishers were much more protected in the pro wrestling business back then than compared to today. Steamboat felt that such a rare moment in time like this would have really shocked the fans and made them go even wilder when he finally captured the title from Randy Savage. And I really couldn't agree more there, though. But I do want to go back to the spot where Steamboat comes off the top rope with the big flying karate chop because Steamboat had started using that since his return as a finisher more often than not. And I think that was purposely done so that when he hit it in this match, rather than it be his real crossbody finisher, that at least when we saw it, maybe the fans would say, oh my God, that's the finisher, and Savage kicks out of that. But again... Like the Dragon said, they don't use the actual flying crossbody off the top rope in this matchup. And for the times, I get why. But I also agree with Steamboat would have sent the crowd into the next orbit had he hit that move and Savage got out of it. People weren't really kicking out of finishers all that much back then, especially the heels. Ricky Steamboat also talks about spending nights up with Randy Savage in hotel rooms, going over their match line by line. I say that because Randy actually had the pages on the paper numbered. What was line number 56, 57, 58? Quick, nice pop quiz there. Randy Savage and Ricky Steamboat quizzing each other to make sure they had this match down pat. Now, again, a lot of guys like to talk about calling it in the ring, and there's nothing wrong with that when you're having a basic match. But when you want to have something like this, this is something special, guys, something very special. And again, I don't care how you get there. If you can get there, what an amazing treat to the fans of professional wrestling that will resonate throughout history. And I'd love to sit here and think about this match for another 10 minutes, but we don't have time, guys, because the action continues. The show goes on as we head off to more back-to-back -back promos. This time first, it's Jake the Snake Roberts along with rock star Alice Cooper. Then on the other side, it's the Honky Tonk Man with his manager, the Colonel, Jimmy Hart. 
right, this man, Alice Cooper, to be in the corner of Jake the Stink Roberts this afternoon at WrestleMania 3 when you go against the Honky Tonk Man. And Jake, in light of all that's happened in the past, especially in the Snake Pit where the Honky Tonk Man blasted you with that guitar, I expect a shootout. You don't think I don't remember that, huh? I know you, you remember. You don't think I don't remember what happened? I still remember. And that's the reason this man is there, because I'll tell you something, Oakland. I don't think Jimmy Hart, number one, he's got the man to take care of me in the honky-tonk. And number two, the honky-tonk is not the man that thought of this whole thing. I'm telling you, Jimmy Hart had to plant the seed because honky-tonk hasn't got enough guts to take a shot at me. But honky-tonk, when you take a shot at a man like me, you better make that shot count, and you didn't. You see, I'm still walking, and that's all I need to do is to get in that ring this afternoon, my man, and have my way with you. Alice Cooper, I'm sure you're going to be keeping tabs on Jimmy Mouth of the South Heart. I noticed the Spurs. Yes, I'll be watching him all the way. This will be his nightmare. This is also my hometown and the hometown of heavy metal. Oh, I love it. We're going to ride, brother. All right, honky-tonk man. Jimmy Hart, just a second here. Honky-tonk, your opponent, Jake the Snake, is in the ring, and I understand it. Betty Lou's at ringside. That's Peggy Sue, and she's getting sick and tired of it. Now, I know that 90,000 people out there are waiting. They're waiting for one thing. They want to hear the honky-tonk man sing. They want to see the honky-tonk man dance. They want to hear the number one hit single in America today. They want to hear, that's all right, honky-tonk mama, and they're going to get to hear it. They're not going to listen to any nightmare song made by Alice Cooper. Let me tell you, Alice Cooper, if you think you're going to put your hands on a colonel, you'll never get a chance because a honky-tonk man is going to take care of Jake the Snake. I'm going to sing and dance for everybody out there that supported me 100%. I love everyone. All right, so we did get a clip there of the honky-tonk man smashing the guitar over Jake's head on the set of the snake pit. Jake says the honky-tonk man, he took his shot, but Jake's still walking. And that's where Honky made his mistake. On the other end, Honky more worried about singing here tonight, or is he? Honky claims the people came to see him sing. They don't want another nightmare song from Alice Cooper. Honky Tonk Man loves all the fans who support him, and he promised to sing and dance for them here tonight. Good luck with that, Honky Tonk Man. And angry Jake the Snake Roberts gunning for you. And it all starts, well, we go back just a few weeks ago. And, you know, it's kind of funny, the Honky Tonk Man, a natural heel coming into the WWF as a babyface. While we had Jake the Snake Roberts, who was also a heel here in the WWF, but was getting over with the crowd because of his character. So, both men were to be flip-flopped with the Honky Tonk Man going heel in near record time after just a couple months in the company. Meanwhile, Jake the Snake Roberts' fate was likely sealed after the infamous snake pit with Hulk Hogan, where he DDT'd the champion on the set, and the fans popped for it. But you could also argue they've also been testing the waters with Jake the Snake and King Kong Bunny matches on the house shows for the past several months, while both men were both technically still heels. Now, Jake's face turn was solidified after the Honky Tonk Man entered the snake pit. Honky, not a fan of snakes, irritated by Jake as Roberts kept sticking Damien in the face of Honky Tonk Man throughout the interview. And the snake made no bones about it what he thought about Honky Tonk Man and his singing. He didn't care for Honky nor his music. The snake then teased Honky one too many times and kabong! Honky Tonk Man blasts his guitar over the skull of Jake the Snake Roberts and then beats him across the back with it until destroying the guitar, and as I said, solidifying the babyface turn of Jake the Snake Roberts, and we discussed the guitar shot story at length on one of our February 87 editions of The Grenade. Long story short, Honky Tonk Man says it was gimmicked. At one point, Jake said it wasn't gimmicked. Jake then changing his tune, no pun intended, to that it was, it was gimmicked, but not gimmicked enough. So said Jake Roberts. Of course, Jake blaming the guitar shot for all of his injuries leading to his drug abuse. Again, we discussed this at length. 
dissecting both sides of the story, both Honky and Jake's sides of the stories a few episodes ago here on the February 87 edition of The Grenade. So we'll move on. Having one of the most hated characters in the WWF, the Honky Tonk Man, crushed Jake Roberts with the guitar, immediately turned Jake face, and the feud was on. And in a play on Jake's dark character and to match up against the Elvis Presley wannabe, Jake would find a rocker himself in Alice Cooper to act as his corner man for one night only in order to counteract the interference, the potential interference of Jimmy Hart out there on the floor. And it's the snake Jake Roberts and Alice Cooper out first on the ring cart. And I was honestly a little surprised here. Jake coming out, no theme music yet, remember here for the snake man. But since he was coming to the ring with Alice Cooper, I didn't understand why they couldn't have given the snake some Alice Cooper-esque music for the night. I ain't paying for that. What's an Alice Cooper? Fuck that, pal. And for those unfamiliar with Alice's work, Cooper was more relevant in the 1970s than he was the 80s, but big hits at the time with No More Mr. Nice Guy and School's Out for Summer. Would have been cool to hear one of those here as Jake made his way to the ring, but it wasn't meant to be. And Cooper mostly irrelevant here to the public eye in the late 1980s, but perfect for this particular match. Jimmy Hart was a musician. There was a lot of keep on dancing references to Jimmy's one-hit wonder on the promos leading in to this match, but they never really elaborate on what they're talking about. Honky Tonk Man, a supposed musician, Cooper is a musician, plus his persona has been tied to snakes for his albums and publicity pictures, so it was probably the perfect choice here, as you get snakes and music in the same match, and Alice Cooper, let's face it, far more coherent than Ozzy Osbourne last year. So it's the snake and Cooper in the ring, followed by the newly dubbed Colonel Jimmy Hart. He's a colonel now, Jess. Jimmy Hart, the colonel and the manager of the Honky Tonk Man. Yeah, we got to get that Honky Tonk Man theme, the original Honky Tonk Man theme in while we can, because pretty soon it's going to change over to the more famous theme song of Honky Tonk. And the referee here for this one, Happy Jack Kruger. And Jake doesn't even let the Honky Tonk Man get his gear off. Honky up on the apron, and Jake just yanks him in over the top rope, jumpsuit and all, and works away with jabs and a big knee lift as Honky Tonk Man can't even get out of his entrance gear. And the Honky Tonk Man out to the floor trying to remove that expensive Elvis jumpsuit before any damage can be done to it. But Jake follows him to the outside and rips the suit off of HTM. From there, the snake with more jabs and a big slam on the Honky Tonk Man on the outside. Then back in the ring, Jake runs right into a knee from Honky Tonk Man in the corner as the heel takes over, working on Jake Roberts, but missing a big roundhouse. And Roberts comes back with a short clothesline. And he's already calling for it, signaling for the DDT. Jake calling for the DDT early on, and the crowd erupts for it. 
and we get a cool shot of Damien sticking straight up in the burlap sack. The bag in the corner, Jake locks on the front face lock looking for the DDT, but Honky Tonk Man dropping down to his knees and sliding out to the floor, escaping before it could be applied. Roberts once again outside chasing the Honky Tonk Man around the ring, but Honky reverses a whip and throws the snake into the ring post. And a really cool bump here is Jake ricochets off the ring post and into the steel railing as well. Jake takes two shots into the steel for the price of one. Alice Cooper attempting to help Roberts back in the ring, but Honky Tonk Man again knocks the snake into the guardrail, adding insult to injury there. Finally back inside, the fans are chanting for Jake, while Honky comes off the middle rope with Cousin Jerry Lawler's patented flying fist drop. But the match goes on, Honky working Roberts over and calls for the Shake, rattle, and roll neckbreaker. Honky locks it in. We get a little shake, a little rattle, but there's no roll. Jake countering the neckbreaker with a backdrop and escapes. But Honky stays on top, maintains control, mounts Roberts in the corner with punches, but Jake counters out with an inverted atomic drop, and it's the Snake Man making the comeback with a series of punches as Honky Tonk Man begs off on his knees. Please, Snake Man, don't hurt me. But that doesn't deter Jake Roberts. Roberts with a backdrop, and then the fans calling for the DDT once again. Honky Tonk Man trying to escape, finds himself sitting on the middle rope as they play a little rocking chair gimmick here. Jake the Snake delivering punches to the Honky Tonk Man. He's holding the top rope, keeping himself up, but rocking back and forth on the middle rope for a fun spot. Great little comedy sell job there by the Honky Tonk Man. As Roberts once again looks for it, Jake once again hooks in the DDT. Front face lock applied on the Honky Tonk Man. And this time it doesn't appear Honky is going to escape. But Jimmy Hart on the outside grabbing the snake by his ankle, distracting Jake Roberts and the Honky Tonk Man. Rolling Jake up from behind with a handful of tights for the win. Seven minutes and four seconds. The Honky Tonk Man surprisingly stealing the win here over Jake the Snake Roberts with a roll up and a hook of the tights. All thanks to the Colonel Jimmy Hart. Honky Tonk Man rolling out of the ring, attempting to celebrate, but immediately after the match, Jake the Snake Roberts grabs the guitar on the floor and literally swings for the fences at the Honky Tonk Man's face. And thankfully, Honky ducks here, and Jake just destroys the guitar. It explodes against the ring post. I wrote, holy fuck, what a swing. Had that connected, Honky would have had some serious damage done to him, no doubt. Honky Tonk Man ducks the guitar shot and goes running for his life. But meanwhile, back in the ring, Jimmy Hart still ringside. Honky takes off to the locker room, but Hart is trapped in between Cooper and Jake the Snake Roberts. And just for a moment, it's Jimmy Hart and Alice Cooper in the ring all alone. Hart not really fearing Alice Cooper. Hart, he looks ready to throw down. Jimmy Hart removes his ring jacket. Oh, but this isn't fair. Jake Roberts from behind hooks Jimmy Hart in a full Nelson while Alice Cooper toys with Hart by releasing Damien from the back and shoving. The snake into the face of the poor mouth of the South. Jake finally throws Damien on top of Jimmy before Hart and a returning Honky Tonk Man finally flee from ringside. Honky returning to save his manager here from utter humiliation. And you might say, damn, Jimmy did an amazing job of playing scared there. But that's because he wasn't acting, guys. Jake was legitimately having to hold him to prevent him from dodging the snake. It's been told by many people, including the Honky Tonk Man and Jake the Snake, that Jimmy has said he strained his neck from that full Nelson Jake had applied because he had it applied for real. He was having to hold Jimmy Hart in place so that he wouldn't flee the ring before the spot was done with the snake. Jimmy Hart clearly not a fan of snakes there. 
And it's also been said that Jimmy had marks from Jake's arms as well. And I'm not blaming Jake at all for this. Jake was just doing what he needed to do. But it was clear Jimmy Hart really didn't want anything to do with Damien here. But a, a fun little segment nonetheless as Honky Tonk Man and Jimmy Hart go running off after stealing a win over Jake the Snake Roberts. Alice Cooper was there to combat Jimmy Hart, but it just didn't seem to work. Now, I've taken some excerpts from interviews from both Jake the Snake Roberts as well as Alice Cooper that they've done in the past in regards to WrestleMania. Wanted to share them here. Some of their comments appear to be spot on with each other. Parallel memories. Some comments seem to show conflicted memories, and some of Alice Cooper's memories are just downright inaccurate. But let's go back and check out what Jake the Snake Roberts had to say about his match having to follow the match between the Macho Man and Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. The Snake says, following Steamboat and Savage for me wasn't that big of a problem. The only people that have a problem with following a great match is a guy that doesn't know what the hell he's doing. Number one, if you're following a great match such as Steamboat and Savage, the last thing you want to do is go out there and try to kick it off and get to their speed right after they left the ring. You don't do that. What you do is you settle the people back down, get them flat in their seats again, and take a deep breath, and then you start to build right back up, and that's the way you do it properly. Jake went on to say, Honky Talk Man, being the idiot that he is, he wanted to get it going because he thought, we're losing them, baby. We got to do something fast. And when you do that, you're digging yourself into a hole. I tell people, don't go out there and be something that you're not. Go out there and do what got you to the dance. Jake goes on to say, use some common sense here, guys. I can't be Ricky Steamboat. I can't be Randy Savage, but I do a damn good Jake the Snake. So Robert says he had no problem following the Savage Steamboat match. Now, I do question about bringing him back down flat and bringing the fans back up because they started this match off, Honky and Jake did, pretty hot. Now, here's what Alice Cooper had to say about going into the matchup. He says, I was in there probably an hour before the show started. I got myself acclimated as to what was going on, and they were trying to tell me all this stuff. And I was saying, hey, guys, just let it happen. The only thing I had to know was when to jump in the ring, when to hit Jimmy Hart in the head with a guitar. Say what? When I was going to take the snake. Those were the things I had to know. The rest of it felt like it was pretty improvised on their part. So Cooper implies that he was uh, supposed to hit Jimmy Hart over the head with the guitar at some point in this matchup. And I think we're going to revisit that here before we're done with these excerpts here. But we're going to go back to Jake the Snake right now. He's going to talk about Alice Cooper's part in the match. Jake said, the funny stuff for me was watching Alice Cooper in the match. You guys couldn't even hear the stuff that was going on in the ring. It was really funny. The honky-tonk man was really needling him. Honky was like, why don't you take that jacket off and come up in the ring? I'll tear your butt up, you skinny little girl. You must be a girl named Alice. Jake thought to himself, what the hell is going on here? As Alice Cooper got into the whole thing, he lost himself in the moment. It was so funny, says Jake, because there he was, Alice Cooper, ripping his jacket off. The guy might have weighed 125 pounds soaking wet. And it was just so funny, says the snake man, when Cooper ripped his jacket off. Jake was like, oh God, put that back on. Honky Tonk in the ring, dying laughing. And here's a little more from Alice Cooper who talks about being a part of the match and, and maybe some interesting things here before we get done with this excerpt. Cooper said, I was the littlest guy in there by far in the match. I weighed about 120 pounds, a pure, fierce Detroit muscle. Jimmy Hart said to me before the match, you and I are the guys that aren't wrestling. I'm representing this guy. You're representing that guy. So the crowd's kind of expecting me and you to go at it at some point, And you're going to stop that real quick just by breaking this guitar over my head. And they're going to love that because that's Alice. Alice Cooper would do that. 
Jimmy supposedly went on to tell Cooper, if you're going to break this guitar over my head, you've got to really do it. It looks really bad if you just kind of hit me with it. So when the time came, this is what Cooper said now, when the time came, I came down with the guitar like a sledgehammer onto the head of Jimmy Hart. Now, it might have been sawed a little bit in the back to break easier, but I didn't see where they fixed it or if they did it all. All I know is that when I hit him, it broke pretty easily. I was afraid I had killed him. Wow, Alice Cooper implying that at some point in the smash, now it was one thing to imply that Jimmy Hart told him maybe it was a pre-planned spot that didn't take place where Jimmy Hart was supposed to get smashed with a guitar. Highly unlikely, to quote the gorilla there. But at this point, Alice Cooper remembers that he took a guitar and smashed it over the head of Jimmy Hart at some point in this match. Now, I beg you guys to go back and watch this. This entire thing never happens. Cooper never even comes near a guitar in this matchup. But the way he remembers it, at some point in this match, he broke a guitar over the top of Jimmy Hart's head. Cocaine is a hell of a drug. But I'm thinking he was on something much more harder than that. So we move on to a few more comments here from Jake and Alice Cooper. At the end of the match, Jake says that Alice is going to put the snake on Jimmy Hart. The problem with putting Damien on Jimmy Hart is that Jimmy Hart is actually terrified of the snake. And Cooper could not get the snake over there because the snake outweighed Alice. And Cooper is trying to pick the snake up, but he can't. Now, Jimmy Hart, in the meantime, is blistering my shins with his kicks, says Roberts, because he wants away from this entire situation. And the longer Cooper took, the worse it got with Jimmy. If Cooper could have just got it over with, it would have been okay. It seemed like eternity, however, and he didn't really get the snake on him. He just sort of stuck it in front of him. It was actually Jake who put the snake on Jimmy Hart. Jake said that, that was pretty much about it. So Cooper was originally supposed to take the snake and place it around Jimmy Hart, but Cooper couldn't really pick the snake up and carry it across the ring and use it as he was supposed to because, well, according to Jake, the snake outweighed Alice Cooper, which isn't really hard to do. And Cooper kind of agrees with that. He says that what I didn't realize was Jake's snake was one of the most meanest animals I've ever seen in my life. He treated it really roughly. So when that thing came out of the bag, it would have taken your hand off. I had to grab it by the nose and hold its mouth closed just so he wouldn't bite me. Cooper also admits to weighing 120 pounds at the time, which would seem to go in line with the weight of the snake versus the weight of rock star Alice Cooper here. In closing, they talk a little bit about payoffs here. Alice Cooper remembers it this way. He says, I don't think we asked for any money for this. I think we did it just because it was Detroit. Remember the home of Alice Cooper, Detroit, Michigan. Cooper goes on to say, I think we were doing a concert around then, before or after the event. And I said, let's do it. Let's do WrestleMania. Come on. This will be the one time we ever get to do this. Alice Cooper implying not only did he smashed a guitar, an imaginary guitar apparently, over the head of Jimmy Hart, but now that he agreed to work WrestleMania for free. Jake's rebuttal to that comment, he said, it was business. He got paid. I have no doubt about that. Now, maybe he blew all of his money that night, just saying, but I have no doubt that Alice Cooper got paid for his merits here. And to be honest with you, for what it was, Cooper wasn't an embarrassment out there. He went out there and did what he was told to do, and apparently in his mind, he did even more than that. Again, cocaine's a hell of a drug. And here's what DeMeltz had to say about this when he said, finish seemed messed up. And it appeared Alice Cooper kind of screwed up in the post-match antics as well. Not sure about any of that, Dave. But Meltzer goes on to say that Jake was real good here and carried the way. Honky is fun, but once the bell rings, he ceases to be much. Meltzer gives this match two and a half stars. Now, as for my take on this match, on one end, it was a Jake Roberts match. Those can usually be fun. But then on the other end, it was a Honky Tonk Man match. And much like Dave said, the bell rings. So you get and you give here. But this match itself, 
This is what happens when the crowd really loves one character and really hates the other. The crowd was hot and loud for everything in this match, and that makes it easy. And Jake, the master of psychology, knew how to play to the crowd. And it doesn't hurt that the Honky Tonk Man is one of the most hated wrestlers of all time. If you're doing the math, we're 10 matches into this show, and the crowd is as hot as they were for match number one in the Can-Am Connection. Unbelievable there. Now, Alice Cooper hadn't been relevant here for a good 8 to 10 years, depending on the music you listen to. And I gotta be honest with you, in 1987, I had no idea who he was at the time. Oh, that's the guy that sings Schools Out. Now I know who he is. But as I said before, his character matched Jake the Snake Roberts, and maybe Roberts suggested him, as he's pointed out, he was a huge fan of Alice Cooper in the 70s. And of course, they had Ozzy Osbourne last year. They downgraded to Cooper this year. And you'd think this would be Jake's revenge match, like Piper on Adonis, Steamboat over Savage. And at this point, you'd think a cartoon such as the Honky Tonk Man wasn't meant to go beyond the mid-card. So the win here was a shocker to many. I really thought going into this, this was Jake the Snake Roberts' match for revenge. But much like Davis scoring the win over the Bulldogs earlier in WrestleMania, this too shocked me. The Honky Tonk Man stealing the win here, really solidifying himself as more than just a throwaway mid-card gimmick. One of the many gimmicks Vince McMahon had a hard-on for, we would come to learn. And in this instance, it worked out in the long run. Honky Tonk Man, a real heat getter here. I thought this was a good little match, but yet maybe another match on the card that was best remembered for the post-match activities rather than the actual action in the ring. The feud is obviously to carry on at this point as the Honky looks to ban the DDT. Moving forward here in the WWF, Honky Tonk Man manages to escape the DDT here at WrestleMania 3. And I simply can't imagine the drugs consumed by Jake the Snake and Alice Cooper after the show. Meltzer gave this match two and a half stars. I'm going to give this match right around the same. I'm going to say two and a half stars. As we head back to the ring, we see Mean Gene Okerlund standing by with a special announcement here. And the best part, we don't have to call a 900 number to get it. Definitely Ladies is. and gentlemen, if I may have your attention for just a moment. At this time, I've been told we have a very special announcement. And here to make the announcement is the World Wrestling Federation's own Mean Gene Okerlund. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we all are part of history in the making here this afternoon for WrestleMania 3. I have come to the Silver Dome like you to be part of this historic date, March the 29th, 1987. Thanks to our millions of fans all around the world, and a special thanks as we have established, all of us, a brand new indoor attendance record of 93,173. Give yourself a big hand. Wow. 93,173 here in the Silverdale Pontiac, Michigan. Let's hear it. History has indeed been made. 
bigger than the Rolling Stones. You Here's got that right. Thank you. Broke the record of the Rolling Stones set in New Orleans. 93,173 gorilla. Did they count you and I in that, or is I, it 175? I don't know. Us? I don't think they counted you and I, Jess. Well, then I think we should bump it up two more. All right, Mean Gene announcing the attendance of WrestleMania 3, that famous number of 93,173. And listen to that monster pop from the fans. Put this into perspective, guys. Heading into our 11th out of 12 matches on the card for the simple announcement of an indoor attendance record. This crowd is amazing. And all of that will bring us to another quick edition of Break It Down. Break It Down. All right, and we won't spend a crazy amount of time here debating the real numbers and the real attendance of WrestleMania 3, but we all know Meltzer's claim the number is 78,000, even though here in the Observer in March of 87, he was already announcing higher sales figures. Now, Meltzer himself has admitted he believed the original 93,000-plus announcement for some time, until he was told different by promoter of the event, Zane Bresloff, and eventually, supposedly, other former WWF employees as well. Well, here's a very quick audio excerpt of an interview that Dave did on YouTube explaining where he got the figure 78,000 from. Here's what the Melts had to say. I always, I always thought that the number was, was legit just because I had no reason not to. And then one night uh, there was a TV special on Hulk Hogan and Zane Breslov, who was the promoter of the event, you know, called me up and goes, you know, God, they, you know, they, they, they said 93,000. And then it's like, I wonder if they actually believe it. And I go, isn't that real? He goes, no, it's not real. And I go, well, what's the real number? He goes, 78,000. He goes, we sold out. I mean, maybe, you know, maybe we could have gotten 93,000, you know, but we didn't, you know, and it was like that. It's like, okay, that's fine. I didn't really worry about it. And then, um, I mean, I think I probably mentioned it or something like that. And then, uh, you know, several other people over the years in WWE, when we talked about it, would, you know, said the same thing. So it's like, people go, oh, you know, one person told him. Well, one person told me first, but I've had it. So many other people have told me about it since. And I know it's like one of those like legendary things. I mean, I even talked to Vince about it once. I mean, it's one of those legendary things where um, people just don't want to believe. People grew up with it and they grew up with that number being part of their religion. And, and you know, your religion tells you it didn't. So you don't want to hear it. And you get mad at people who tell you it. You know what I mean? Now, as Eric Bischoff says, context is king. And let's make it known right away here. When that conversation took place between Meltzer and Breslov, Zane Breslov was then working for the competition. Breslov, very well known for working with WCW throughout the 90s. So, I'm just saying there. Now, other than Wembley Stadium in 1992, it's kind of been hard to have anything to compare WrestleMania 3 to in regards to the size of the crowd that is until recent years' WrestleManias, namely the Cowboys' AT&T Stadium. Now, was it 93,000 fans? Who knows? Probably not. Was it 78,000 fans? I kind of doubt that too. You see, the Silverdome accommodated 80 to 82,000 fans, not counting the seats added to the floor here. And as you can see from the show, very little was closed off. There wasn't a giant entrance structure back then in those days to take up space for production. And now that we've seen legit 78,000 sellouts, this crowd does look bigger than that. At the very least, I say, why not split it in the middle? Dave says 78, the WWF says 93. Let's just call it a day. Let's call it 85,000 here in attendance. And at the end of the day, who knows? But you can't deny the spectacle, the way the crowd looked. Many will always argue it was 93. 
Meltzer backers will always promote 78. Others, they could care less. But what a crowd. And they were all the way live as we head into the home stretch of WrestleMania 3. We're going to head off to Coliseum Video. Craig DeGeorge talking with the Iron Sheik, Nikolai Volkov, and the Doctor of Style Slick. Pre-recorded comments from the day before WrestleMania. The heel sitting in the lower level of the Silverdome. You talk about sweetness. Yeah. Then you take a good look at the Iron Sheik and the mighty Nikolai Volkov, brother, because that's exactly where it is. And the fact that there's going to be 93,000 people here, brother, yeah. makes it just that much sweeter because my men are going to do a, a job on them. Right, brother? I had some thoughts, Nikolai. You know, the killers be there very strong, right under his task, under his arm. They stink. That's where they are strong they are. When they come here, this ring, we're going to give them a resting restaurant. Is that right, Sheik? All right, Iron Sheik. You know, Craig, intelligent American know I leave it to the people to decide. That 22-inch neck and that 22-inch arm. And tomorrow, thousand, thousand people, they're going to say USA, USA. But that doesn't going to help us because our power, our resting ability is we don't care about USA. We don't care about that killer beast tomorrow. We're going to prove it to the America. Russia going to be number one. That's it, baby. That's it, baby. You got it. Killer Beast, you're going down. The Doctor of Style getting his men ready for their big matchup. And I know you couldn't see it here on the podcast, but Nikolai Volkov in that same suit that he'll wear all the way into 1994. Remember when Nikolai's caught sitting in the crowd, eventually joining the Million Dollar Corporation? Actually, I think I've seen Nikolai in this suit back in the 70s as well. So uh, no joke. Nikolai was a thrifty fellow. And the story goes, when he came over to the United States, he didn't really have a whole lot to his name. And this suit was actually old enough. It goes further back to Nikolai. It was actually gifted to him by one Gorilla Monsoon at one point many years ago. And you have to say that Nikolai got good use out of that suit. And the same lines from Volkov here. We heard it in a different promo on TV. He says, the killer bees are strong under their arms. Epic promo there by Volkov. Meanwhile, the Iron Sheik, intelligent American, no. They can chant USA, USA, but that won't help them. Cheeky Baby doing what he does best here. Cameraman zoom in. The intelligent Americans know they can chant USA all they want, but it's not going to help the killer bees in this one. And we're off to the ring. It's Nikolai Volkov and the Iron Sheik with the Doctor of Style Slick in the ring, awaiting their opponents, the killer bees riding down on the mini cart. And literally the only interaction I can recall these two teams having heading into WrestleMania was in a recent match between Nikolai Volkov versus the living legend Bruno Sammartino. Iron Sheik was at ringside and interfered in the match when it appeared Sammartino might have had Volkov beaten in the ring. That led to both Volkov and Sheik attempting to double-team Bruno, but the Bees ran out to make the save, even though Sammartino appeared to be handling it all on his own. And speaking of which, where the fuck is Bruno Sammartino on this show? Talk about dropping the ball here. Was this like a blatant FU from Vince McMahon to Bruno Sammartino not allowing to be any part of WrestleMania 3 here? Absolutely disgusting. Now, as for this match, this is what you call the bathroom break match, the cool-down match, the worst spot on the card, the match before the main event is what it is. And yes, there he is, the Doctor of Style Slick has returned to the ring, ripped up suit and all, doesn't appear he brought a change of clothes here. I wrote LOL seeing Slick back out there in a torn-up suit. Before the match can begin, though, Nikolai Volkov tries to sing the Russian national anthem when Mr. USA himself, ho, 
it's WWF newcomer Hacksaw Jim Duggan comes rushing to ringside and runs the heels out of the ring with his 2x4, complete with mini American flag attached to its side. Duggan running the heels out of the ring. And if you've been following the grenade, you know by now that they've been airing vignettes of Hacksaw in recent weeks here on TV, and he just debuted on syndicated TV in the ring last week in his supposed match against the Iron Sheik, which never actually transpired due to Duggan running the two men off, similar to what we just saw right here with the 2x4. But now on this past Saturday's edition of WWF Superstars, it was Slick who would challenge Duggan to a quote-unquote rematch with the Iron Sheik for next week after WrestleMania on TV. So setting up a match post-WrestleMania here one-on-one between Duggan and the Sheik for next week on TV, promising to leave Nikolai at home if Duggan will leave the 2x4 at home as well. We'll have to see how that plays out when we get into the month of April. But back to Mania here, Duggan gets on the microphone and says that Volkov can't sing his Russian national anthem here because this is America, by God. This man has vowed that Nikolai Volkov would never again sing the national Russian national anthem as long as he's around. And look at this, he even has a little flag taped to that two-by-four. He does indeed, the stars and stripes pinned on the end of that equalizer, that two-by-four. Look at, look at Nikolai and the Sheik, they're bent out of shape, Jess. Because this is the land of the free and the home of the free! Hacksaw Duggan reminding the hills this is the land of the free. We can't have you doing whatever you want here. Sarcasm there, people. And Hacksaw already more over than the killer bees here. That has to drive them nuts. And right before this match starts, I wrote here in my notes, Hacksaw and Bruno versus Sheik and Volkov? Sounds like money to me, but no, instead it's the Killer Bees getting a reward for all their hard work. And the referee for this one, John Bonello, and thankfully the Bees are back to their normal ring gear. They put away the silly ballet tights and shoes, at least for WrestleMania. The foreigners jump the Bees to start things while Duggan paces at ringside. The Bees, though, reverse Irish whips with the heels. The heels try a little do-si-do action, but the Bees still end up with the advantage and take over on the Iron Sheik. Quick tags and double teams by the Bees on Sheiky. That B. Brian Blair whips the Sheik into the ropes and drops down. Sheik runs right into the Brunzel dropkick. This could already be over. Brunzel going for the cover, but big old Nikolai breaks up the count, and we get all four men back in the ring. And the distraction there allows the heels to finally take over on jumping Jim Brunzel, and they take him over into the heel corner. And I should note at this point in the match, the ring is still half filled with garbage from the fans pelting the Iron Sheik and Nikolai during the Russian national anthem spot. Racist Americans. Brunzel tries fighting his way back with a flying attack, but Volkov winds up catching him and locking in a bear hug. Jumping Jim sells it for a moment, but eventually escapes with the ear clap of doom. But the Iron Sheik steps in with a gut wrench suplex and takes over the match, getting a near fall, and then another suplex by the Iron Sheik with yet another two count here. But Brunzel finally makes the comeback with a high knee on the Iron Sheik, and Jim finally makes that big hot tag out. But the referee misses it. Due to a distraction from Nikolai Volkov, Brunzel forced back into the ring. And with that, the referee forces that no good punk, Bron Blair, back to his corner. Double team Brunzel out to the floor where even the Slickster gets in a few cheap shots. And it's at that point that Hacksaw Jim Duggan begins to chase Volkov and Slick around ringside while Sheiky Baby puts the prone Jim Brunzel into the Kamal Clutch. 
Yahallah, Aaron Sheikh, come clutch. But it's not Brian Blair, so I not break his back. Make him humble. But the Iron Sheik does apply the camel clutch to Jim Brunzel as Duggan chases Volkov through the ropes and into the ring. Duggan stops at the sight of the camel clutch. Hacksaw looks at the Sheik, looks at the fans. Hey, why not? Hacksaw whacks the back of the Iron Sheik with the 2x4, causing a disqualification in 5 minutes and 42 seconds. Duggan costing the bees the match there. Really funny spot, though. Duggan chasing Volkov into the ring. Just stops center ring, realizing that, hey, the Iron Sheik has a camel clutch on Brunzel. He looks at the Sheik. He looks at the fans. Eh, why not? Duggan blasts the back of the Iron Sheik, though costing his presumed buddies the match here at WrestleMania. Now, following the match, Duggan gets back on the microphone again and has the fans chant USA as the heels run off in the night. So, Volkov, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. If you don't want to play by the rules, neither do we. And understand one thing, there's a new spirit in America, and you can hear it now. USA! 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 Hacksaw Jim Duggan leading the chant of USA by these 93,000 plus here in the Silverdale Pontiac, Michigan. Talk about spirit. That guy's got it, Jess. Oh, yeah, but one thing, I, I don't know why the bees are patting this guy on the back. He cost him a chance to win a match. Now they get loser's money. And Jesse Ventura pointing out the obvious. He says that Duggan cost the bees the match, but nobody seemed to care here. And even the bees themselves have questioned this finish in past shoot interviews. Here's what Meltzer had to say about this one. He said, post-match, Duggan ran in and hit Sheik with the 2x4 and did one of those xenophobic speeches. Duggan has been put in a tough position as he'll be in the key headline position this spring. Really now, Dave? Post-WrestleMania never draws well, and Duggan's foe is Sheik, whose drawing power burned out more than a year ago. It's going to be awfully easy for Duggan to not look good here. Volkov has nothing left in the tank, but Sheik did do a few moves. Action was fine, although by this point in the show, nobody cared about it. Star and a half, says Meltzer. Now, as for me, I wrote, this wasn't really a bad match. Seemed like more of a vehicle to get Duggan over than anything. Hacksaw cost the bees the match, but it was a good finish to counteract the nonstop cheating from the heel corner throughout the match. I was actually surprised the bees weren't rewarded for their services here. Scoring a pinfall win would have been nice. Maybe fighting back with their own mass confusion gimmick to score the win, or even Duggan using the board behind the referee's back. That would have been just desserts for the heels as well. But instead, they protect Sheiky Baby and Nikolai Volkov for whatever reason. And I hate non-finishes, so at least Duggan's run-in made sense. But still, you're telling me that you couldn't have a finish in a match like this and still get Duggan over post-match? Like, if the Bees had won by pinfall, like that was going to hurt anything? If Sheik and Volkov had somehow scored the win, like that was going to hurt anything? Did we really need a DQ here in this particular match? Just seems like a silly match to have a non-finish in. Dave gave this thing a star and a half. I give this thing a star and a half. I have a feeling those parallel ratings will change here very soon as we move on to the main event of WrestleMania 3. It's WWF champion Hulk Hogan taking on the eighth wonder of the world, Andre the Giant, with new manager Bobby the Brain Heenan. And we'll go back in time and talk about how this whole thing transpired. So we'll go back almost a year ago. Andre the Giant suspended shortly after WrestleMania 2 for no-showing a tag team match against Bundy and Stud. 
Bobby Heenan is actually the man who gets the Giants suspended in a hearing with President Jack Tunney. In reality, now Andre was dealing with back issues and would eventually do a tour with New Japan before briefly returning under the machine's mask in the summer of 86 as the Giant Machine. But before Heenan could prove that Andre was indeed the Giant Machine, Andre was gone again by the fall of 86, this time to film the Princess Bride film. But near the end of 86, we were alerted that there was another hearing in place before the president, Jack Tunney, this time to reinstate Andre back to active competition. But what was odd about said hearing was that we learned Andre wasn't at the hearing at all, but Bobby Heenan was. And it made sense at first. Heenan was the one that had him suspended after all, so why not protest the reinstatement? If that's what Bobby was there for. Shortly after the hearing, we learn of Andre's reinstatement to the WWF rings. Both Bobby Heenan and the returning giant played coy with the announcers, neither man fully explaining what transpired at said hearing. But nevertheless, the smiling face beloved giant made his return to WWF TV by the beginning of 1987. And his longtime buddy Hulk Hogan was awarded a large trophy on the set of Piper's Pit for being WWF champion for three years. Wow, that's a long time. Andre surprised the Hulk by coming out to congratulate him on his trophy, subtly squeezing the hand of Hogan during their handshake in the process. Now, a week later, it was Andre who would receive his own award also on the set of Piper's Pit, also a trophy, a noticeably smaller trophy than Hulk Hogan's for going undefeated for 15 years. But before Andre could express his emotions in words on the microphone, he was cut off by the glory hog himself, dude. Hulkster, brother. Hulk Hogan comes out to Piper's pit, cuts Andre off, yanking the trophy from the hand of Andre the Giant to hold it up for him, and then Hogan cuts his own promo, causing Andre to sit his trophy down and leave the pit. And naturally, the asshat Hogan Chalked it up to Andre. He's being modest, man. That's why he's not talking. No, Hogan. He's not talking because your ass came out and took the microphone from him. Dude. It was also at this point, it became noticeable on commentary throughout the weeks that Bobby Heenan was upset that, that Hogan got a trophy larger than Andre's. Then, when Andre did receive a trophy, Heenan said he was the one that embarrassed Jack Tunney into forcing him give Andre a trophy, though the brain also points out a much smaller trophy. Bobby also pointed out that Hogan comes out and steals the spotlight. Well, I'll tell you what, guys, Bobby wasn't lying. As things became interesting, there appeared to be dissension. A buzz was in the air, and it was time to air things out. Jesse the Body Ventura promised Andre on the set of Piper's Pit if Roddy Piper could produce the Hulkster. Andre and Hogan on the pit face-to-face to discuss the presumed issues between these two quote-unquote best friends would they appear on Piper's Pit to iron things out once and for all? Both men agreed to meet face-to-face the following week, and that they did, with Hogan waiting on the set of Piper's Pit. True to his word, Jesse Ventura produces Andre the Giant. But the Giant doesn't come out alone. Even Ventura seems surprised when Andre arrives, with Bobby the Brain Heenan by his side. The Hulkster then pleads with his supposed friend, begging him to say it ain't so, Andre. It doesn't have to be like this. Don't turn to the dark side, brother. But that's when Andre made his intentions known. I'm there for one reason. To challenge you for a world championship match in the WrestleMania. He wanted to challenge Hogan 
to a world championship match in the WrestleMania. Hulk couldn't believe it. You can't believe it, Hogan? Believe this. As Andre rips the shirt off the Hulkster and the crucifix torn off his neck and tossed to the floor, the Hulk in disbelief as Andre the Giant leaves Piper's pit with new manager Bobby Heenan. A week later, Hogan returned to Piper's pit to answer said challenge. Would Hogan defend his championship belt against Andre the Giant at WrestleMania 3? Tell me yes or no! Are you or are you not going to fight him at WrestleMania 3 for the World Heavyweight Championship? Yes or no? Yes! Yes! The Hulkster agrees to the match, and the contract was signed. And as the weeks went on, the anticipation continued to build. Bobby Heenan and Jack Tunney even appearing on an episode of Piper's Pit, producing a new WWF title belt one that would fit around the waist of Andre the Giant, leaving even many of the smartest of marks feeling a title change could go down. Why would they make a belt that size if they weren't intending to give Andre the title? From there, it was the March 14th edition of Saturday Night's Main Event, the 20-man Battle Royal featuring Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. It would mark the first time these two men touched each other leading into the big pay-per-view. As Hogan and Andre took turns eliminating half the field before coming to blows themselves, as Hogan had just eliminated Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff, the giant grabbed Hulk from behind, delivered a skull-crushing headbutt into the back of Hulk's head, and disposed of Hogan like trash. With ease, Andre eliminated the WWF champion from the Battle Royal. Meanwhile, it took eight men to eliminate one giant from that match. If there was ever a long and winding road to WrestleMania, this one didn't disappoint. The stage is set as we have some last-minute audio clips before we get to the main event. And we're going to go back in time to the WrestleMania 3 press conference here. Now, I chopped this up a little bit for audio purposes. Now, you won't find this footage on the live version nor the Peacock version of WrestleMania 3, though the WWE Network did used to have the WrestleMania 3 press conference available. I'm not sure if that's still out there. But I actually took these excerpts of audio from these press conferences here from the Coliseum video version of WrestleMania 3. First, we're going to hear from Bobby the Brain Heenan, and then the WWF champion, Hulk Hogan. The biggest professional athlete in the world today, the eighth wonder of the world, Andre the Giant. Um, you brought me out here to do an interview, right? Right. In front of the, the media here in Michigan, right? Who's going to do it, you or me? Well, I'll ask the questions if you don't mind. And I'd be glad to give you the answers. What would you like to talk about first, Mr. Okerlin? Well, I think we should talk about Andre the Giant, very dear, close, personal friend of Hulk Hogan. Hogan actually looked up to this man for years and years and years. That's because he's seven feet five. <laughs> A little decorum, Bobby Heenan. I understand that, that you have requested from World Wrestling Federation President Jack Tunney that a new heavyweight title belt be made specifically for this event. Is that correct? That's correct. And the belt was supposed to, I guess it'll be ready next Monday. And uh, it's going to be made. Are you sure that it's being made? Boy, I'd sure hate to be up in front of a judge and have you as my mouthpiece. They'd be walking me down the road, shaving my hair and trying to strap me in a chair. Can I speak? Do you mind? Am I sure it's going to be made? Yes, I'm sure. I'm on top of everything. I know what's happening. I'm not some glad hander like some people I know. There's a new belt being made and it's being made to fit a man, a giant of a man, the next champion of the world. All right, I'd ask you before, perhaps I can prevail upon the big Frenchman, Andre, Andre, 
Could I prevail upon you, sir, to say a few words? It's obvious the man doesn't care to speak to you today. Now, you want to go uh, maybe slap him around a bit and see if you can get some? <laughs> Bobby Neely, you know better than that. The people, the folks that I talk to around the country right now are betting that Andre is going to be the next heavyweight champion of the world. Well, let's and face it, all good things come to an end. The man's had three good years as world champion. Had a cartoon show named after him. He's done movies. He's done television. He's got a line of dolls out. He's got bed sheets. He's got everything out. So is Andre the Giant. Exactly. But he's missing one thing. It's the championship of the world. I mean, the guy's had three years. You act like it's all over for Hogan. He can do all that. Him and Piper can go to Hollywood together. They can go to Paramount and one to Fox. They can park cars and the bus tours come through. All right. Bobby Heenan, is there any need for us to continue on this conversation that seems to be deteriorating? No, I was bored when you first brought me in. I see. At this time, let me introduce the champion from Venice Beach, California, Hulk Hogan. Well, you know me and Gene, I'm glad to be back, brother. I just wish it was under different circumstances, man. You know, we got WrestleMania three. Got all of Detroit City, the whole state of Michigan, everybody's fired up. Yeah, you're human, brother. Yeah, you're human, man, and you're going down. You know, for so long, man, I thought this was a big man. Seven foot four, 550 pounds, used to look up to him, you know. Now I see his true colors, there ain't much there. Can't wait for March 29th. Used to respect the guy a lot, man. Taught me everything I know. <laughs> Don't have any respect for it at all now. None. Can't wait. All right, and Bobby having a little fun there with Mean Gene Oakland. Hogan used to look up to the giant. That's because he's seven foot five, Gene. Classic stuff there from the brain. Then on the other end, if there's one thing we know, Hulk Hogan is ready. No longer has any respect for the giant. Hogan stating that he no longer has any respect for Andre the Giant. And boy, does he sound ready for this one. Taking things seriously as well he should, is the Hulkster here. As we head off to final words from both men. For weeks now, Bobby the Brain Heenan has been doing all the talking for Andre the Giant, but this time, the Giant finally speaks. Let's head off to Mean Gene Oakland as he gets last-minute words before the main event with the challenger, Andre the Giant. And Andre the Giant, just moments away from your stepping through the ropes and into the ring to meet Hulk Hogan in the biggest title match of all time, I want to get your thoughts. Gene, you'll see me now, and I'm going to the ring and bury me, and I'm going to take me too long to come back right in the front of the camera with the world championship belt around my waist. Bobby. Oh, I can feel it. Oh, the adrenaline's going. This man right here is going to make me famous. He's going to become the heavyweight champion of the world, and I'm going to go down the history books as the manager of the world's heavyweight champion. I'm ready. Hogan, you better be ready. And Andre speaks. Unbelievable. Won't take him too long to return backstage with the WWF title, says the giant. Heenan is amped up. He is ready for this one. Hogan, you better be ready, because we're ready, dude. And speaking of the Hulkster, let's head backstage. One final promo here on WrestleMania 3 and how fitting it would be with the WWF champion, Mean Gene Oakland, standing by with the Hulkster. 
Moments away from the biggest heavyweight title defense for this man ever, Hulk Hogan, you gotta be ready. Well, you know, I hope Pontiac Michigan recovers, man. I'm glad I snuck in early last night, brother. I didn't realize the interstates, the Pontiac Silverdome was in danger. Not the 90,000 plus on the inside. It's the 90,000 plus on the outside of the Silverdome. Those are the ones I'm worried about because when I get my hands on that big nasty giant, when he faces the truth, when he feels the wrath of Hulkamania, the day the whole Earth is gonna shake. What are those 90,000 plus Hulkamaniacs on the outside gonna think? I'm not worried about the people with the closed circuit. I'm not worried about the people all around the world. They'll see it. But the intensity of Hulkamania, the way it's turned this whole state upside down, the way the whole world's turned upside down, what are they gonna think when the giant hits the ground? He feels the wrath of Hulkamania and the whole world shakes at my feet. We could conceivably blow the roof off this great facility, the Silver Dome. Right now, let's go back to the booth. All right, and as you can tell now, we've sort of moved into the -the over-the-top Hogan promo. And truly, it worked in this era. Hogan's stating he might blow the roof off the Silver Dome here tonight, dude. It's going to be one epic battle, that's for sure. As we head to the ring and Howard Finkel introduces our guest ring announcer, Mr. Baseball, Bob Uecker. Oh, just listen to the hand from Mr. Baseball, your friend and mine, Bob Euchre. Well, I'll tell you what, this is the closest ticket Bob Euchre's ever had in his life to an event. <laughs> I mean, he's usually in Section 307 in the upper northeast corner. Well, he told me he felt quite at home while he was up here in the broadcast booth because this is about the height that he usually watches from. Oh, yeah, most definitely. You know what? We got a lull here, Gorilla. I want to say hi to Terry Tyrell and Jade back in Minneapolis. Oh, okay. Okay. Two of our lovely federettes is scoring. Good morning, Mr. Baseball, inside the squared circle, our special guest, ring announcer, he's one heck of a guy. There he is, Mr. Basketball, Bob Euchre. Baseball, baseball. I thought it was basketball. No, no, baseball. Baseball, baseball. Thank you very much. At this time, I would like to introduce to you our timekeeper. She is the host of Entertainment Tonight. How about a big Michigan welcome? For the beautiful and talented Mary Hart. Mary Hart making her way down to the ring is our special guest celebrity timekeeper. She's beautiful, Jack. Oh, you're not telling me nothing. She calls me all the time in the middle Get of the away. night, Gorilla. Get away from me. You know, she she would like just to touch a little sweat off my body sometimes. So. Oh, I know so. Look you, at her. You Ooh. wish. You wish. You know what's great about her, though? Not only does she have beauty, she's very intelligent. She's got a tremendous mind, too, Gorilla. She certainly does. Getting some help being led inside the squared circle. Look at that old Jack Lanza. You know he's trying to get close down there. <laughs> and there you hear Bob Euchre into the ring as Jesse Ventura says hi to Terry Tyrell and Jade in Minneapolis, as he would do every year. Jesse purposely waited till the main event to do that, too. You got to know that. You got to love Jesse Ventura. Jesse's had a good three hours to do that. He waits until the main event when he knows everybody's watching and everybody's listening to say hi to his family back in Minneapolis. Of course, you hear the announcers there also joke about Mary Hart greeting Blackjack Lanza at ringside, kind of implying that Lanza might be a little bit of a pervert there. As we head back to the ring, Bob Uecker getting ready to make the introductions and even more eager to hear Jesse Ventura do the tale of the tape. As we await, Mary Hart remarked when she was in there, look at all this these people. is the main event of the evening. It is for the World Wrestling Federation 
Heavyweight Championship scheduled for one fall with a one-hour time limit. First, the challenger, accompanied by his manager, Bobby the Brain Heenan. He hails from Grenoble in the French Alps. He weighs 520 pounds. Andre the Giant. An awesome figure. There he is, seven foot five, 525, neck 24, chest 71, biceps 21, hands 16, wrist 11 inches, forearms 17, thighs 36, calves 22. We could be looking at the next heavyweight champion of the world. And I just gave you the tail of the tail. And now, his opponent. He is from Venice Beach, California. Weighing in at 294 pounds, he is the World Wrestling Federation Heavyweight Champion, Hulk Hogan! The roof of the Silverdome about to explode here as the Hulkster greets and these 93,000 plus greet him. You're looking at the greatest professional athlete in the world today, the world's heavyweight champion. For right now, Gorilla, he may not be a few moments from now. Let me run it down. Hogan, 6'8", 294, neck 21, chest 58, biceps and a phenomenal 24 inches, forearms 18, wrist 9 inches, hands 13 and a half, thighs 30 and a half, calves 20, the tail of the tape. A phenomenal individual. And Hulkamania, look at it, Jess. It's alive and running well. You got 93,173 fans standing on their feet for this one, Gorilla. And I hope my voice holds up. It's holding up just fine, Jess. And look at the Hulkster. All right, and when I grabbed these sound bites, this literally sent chills up my spine. I felt like I was back in 1987 for just a moment in time as I captured this audio. And I really can't explain why, but what a feeling it was. I just felt like I was there, just for one moment. And remember last episode of The Grenade, we talked about two of the three missing celebrities here at WrestleMania 3. We talked about Samantha Fox and Gordie Howe. Of course, Samantha Fox is supposed to be the keeper of the crown before being replaced by Moolah in the JYD and Harley Race match. Gordie Howe was announced by the Can-Am Connection as being their corner man for the opening match. Now, neither one of those came to fruition, well, remember, it was also on that first WrestleMania 3 report with Mean Gene where he mentioned that Hulk Hogan was to have a special guest in his corner too, brother. And Dave Meltzer speculated that, well, it could be Sylvester Stallone or even Arnold Schwarzenegger. Put that cookie down now! It's not a tumor. Who is your daddy and what does he do? Get to the chopper! I'll be back. Hasta la vista, baby. Put the cookie down! But unlike the Can-Am connection, there are no known promos with Hogan mentioning who it might have been. And asking Hogan now, I'm sure we get an absolutely ridiculous answer. So I guess we'll never really know. Two out of the three celebrity mysteries solved. The third one, well, I guess we have ourselves a WWF unsolved mystery here, guys. 
And as the Hulkster makes his way out, only the second man to walk to the ring all night. He and Roddy Piper really stick out here. We don't need no stinking ring carts, man. Hulk Hogan making sure everyone puts their eyes on him as he walks to the ring, saluting the fans. But the time for talking is done. Both men in the ring, staring across the ring from one another, and the bell sounds, and there's no turning back. I hate to see the night conclude, but all good things must come to an end, and here we go. It's time for the showdown of all showdowns, a true match of epic proportions. It's the Hulk and the Giant for the first time in the era of Hulkamania. And for the first time ever, their roles here in the States have switched. Now it's Hogan, the glowing hero versus the evil giant, who wants a last run at the top before heading off into the sunset. A climax if there ever was one. The stuff legends are made of. As Gorilla Monsoon reminds us, The irresistible force meeting the immovable object. It is the irresistible force meeting the immovable object. Look at the size of the giant. I mean, Hogan is six foot eight. Andre is seven foot five. Referee Joey Morella returns signals for the bell, and we're all set to go as we get the epic stare down that when you watch it to this day still feels larger than life because these two guys are larger than life, and the feeling of importance just exudes from them as they meet center ring. Hulk trembles with rage as the statuesque giant finally moves and gives Hogan a shove. But the Hulkster shoves right back as Andre tries a big right hand, but Hogan blocks it and lands three big rights of his own. And Hogan going for the body slam early on. Hogan lifting the giant in the air in the early moments of the match. But the 500 plus pounds of weight forces Hulk's back to give out. And Andre lands on top of Hogan for the cover. One, two, three? Well, that should have been it. According to many sources, Hulk doesn't make the typical kick out here instead he slides out from underneath andre and gets a shoulder up on the opposite side of the referee so this played in well for the next year as heenan continued to refer to andre as the uncrowned champion based on this very pinfall now you see andre signals it was a three count heenan yelling the same thing to morella it was definitely a near fall i'll give him that hogan just escapes an epic letdown here only a minute into the match Yes, guys, this spot took place a minute into the matchup. Imagine if Morella had to follow the instructions of Randy Savage from earlier. The same instructions Savage gave Dave Hepner. If you count three, you call it a three. I think in this case, Morella knew better. In all honesty, I do believe Hogan got his shoulder up, but barely got his shoulder up before the three count. And wisely, Andre goes to the back of the Hulkster. Remember, it gave out during that body slam attempt. And now it's Andre picking Hogan up like a sack of potatoes and slamming him down in the middle of the match. Hogan sells it huge like he was driven through the ring as the fans just can't seem to fathom Hogan being manhandled like this. It's at this point in the match you can actually see the black back brace being worn by Andre underneath his singlet just to keep him mobile enough to work this match. It shows you how much he went through just to be able to perform here at WrestleMania. You have to respect Andre for that. Andre calls for the Hulk to get up off the mat before scooping him up and slamming him down, boom, a second time, before walking across the back of the Hulkster. An awesome visual there. Good heel shit. Andre the Giant putting all his weight on Hogan, walking across his back. And naturally, the champion Hogan sells it like he's been rolled over by a tank. Andre then impressively yanks Hogan up to his feet by his trunks. That's 300 pounds, guys, before he continues to work Hogan over, whipping him from corner to corner. Landing shoulder butts, 
butt bumps in the corner, delivering a series of headbutts. But Hogan finally manages to dodge a headbutt in the corner, and Andre hits the buckle. Hogan finally makes a comeback, drilling the giant with big right hand after big right hand. From there, it's a running elbow from the Hulkster and some big sweat-smacking chops. See the sweat go flying off the giant's chest here, which send Andre back into the corner. From there, Hogan drives Andre's head into the top turnbuckle to the count of 10. But Hogan runs into an Andre boot when he tries a clothesline in the corner, and the giant finally takes back over with a nasty chop across the chest of the champion and goes into a bear hug to wear the champ down. Hogan seems to begin to fade. He goes weak in the knees as referee Morella begins to check his arm once, and it falls a second time, and it falls again. Hogan in trouble here. Morella raising the champ's hand a third and final time. Joey Morella assumes this one's over as he starts to walk away from the wrestlers and towards the timekeeper to signal for the bell, but realizes Hogan has kept his arm up. It's still up as the Hulk begins shaking back and breaking the bear hug after over a dozen right hands to the temple of Andre the Giant, the crowd getting louder and louder for each punch. Insanity, this crowd here at the Silver Dome. From there, the Hulkster tries to take Andre off his feet with a pair of shoulder tackles, but a third attempt sees Hogan run right into a big chop from Andre. Then the Giant sends Hogan into the ropes for his big boot to the stomach of Hogan. At least he tried. Andre just couldn't get that foot all the way up. Hulk, though, takes a bump to the floor, and Andre follows him right outside. The Giant backing Hogan up against the ring post tries for a headbutt, but Hulk moves. And Andre headbutts the steel post instead. It's at this point in the match, the champion removes the safety padding from ringside and attempts to pile drive the giant on the floor. You've got to be kidding me. But Andre counters the pile driver with a very slow motion backdrop. And Hogan takes the lamest bump he could possibly ever take for this backdrop. Just awful, just embarrassing by Hulk Hogan here. He looks to pile drive Andre, which just wasn't going to happen on the concrete, but then Andre reverses it with a backdrop, but Hogan is not wanting to take this spot on the padding, off the padding, either way, he grabs hold of the apron and kind of flips over onto the apron in slow motion, then slowly falls down onto the mat on the outside, just awful looking here by Hogan, and it was just sad, especially considering the magnitude of this match and the money he was being paid to take this fucking bump. Take a fucking bump, Hogan, brother. At least Andre has an excuse. Nevertheless, let's pretend like that backdrop is a thing of beauty. Andre rolls Hogan back into the ring and goes for yet another big boot. But this time, Hogan dodges it and comes running back off the ropes. Big clothesline. Rocks the giant and both men go down. Andre and Hogan on the mat. The giant falling near the ropes with Bobby Heenan standing there yelling in his ear, pleading with Andre, get up. The brain begging the challenger, begging his man to get up and keep fighting. But it's Hulk Hogan who sits up first. No, he doesn't sit up. He hulks up. Hulk Hogan is hulking up. He can feel it now. The power of Hulkamania and the 93,000 fans enables Hogan to get to his feet. Can he do it? Can he do it? Hogan scoops up the giant. Full rotation. Body slams the giant center of the ring. And the big leg drop for good measure. One, two, Three, Hulk Hogan does the impossible. Hulk Hogan defeats the undefeated giant. Hogan, the winner, after 12 minutes and one second. Unbelievable way to end the night. 
And I want you guys to take a listen to this finish here. And yes, I said a listen. Listen for the slam. That's right, I said it. Listen for the slam. You won't mistake this. That's the first time I think that the Giants ever been knocked off his feet like that. Look at the look on the face of the champion. He's hooking up, Jess. I don't know if he's got enough left in him. That adrenaline can do wonders. We're seeing what this guy is really made of. What he is. The greatest professional athlete in the world today. Look at this. He's He's I don't believe it. I don't believe it. I'm dropping a big leg. Over for the cover. Great line there from Gorilla. He's hulking up, Jess. What are you going to do at that point? Hulk wins, and what a pop for that slam. I know you guys heard it. You could tell when the slam was going down. What a sound from that audience there in the Silverdome. Unbelievable night of action here. Here's what Meltzer had to say about this one. Wasn't too kind. He says, this wasn't the worst match I ever saw. Well, that's a good way to start it, Dave. But it threatened to be at times. Should have known that was coming. So Dave says it wasn't the worst match he's ever seen, but it threatened to be at times. Hulk proved all his critics right, and that he simply can't carry a match. Andre was even worse than I expected. From there, Meltzer goes on to complain about Hogan and Andre being outside the ring too long, said they should have been double counted out. From there, Dave says that everything the two men did, besides the first non-slam and the final slam of the match, was poor. Dave gave this match minus four stars. In case you guys can't read hyphens here, or you think it's a typo, Dave clarifies. He says, that's negative four stars, people. But Meltzer doesn't in there. He goes on. He says, I'll have nightmares about this match. Andre just standing there, not moving for minutes on end, nearly falling asleep while holding Hogan in a four-minute bear hug. But who can complain? Well, apparently you can, Dave. In one day, this match did more business then everybody Rogers versus Johnny Valentine, Pat Patterson versus Ray Stevens, Luthez versus Carl Gotch, Ricky Steamboat versus Ric Flair, and Jack Briscoe versus Terry Funk match combined. And that's something to think about. And those were all the thoughts expressed by Mr. Observer Dave Meltzer himself. But now as for my thoughts, first let me just touch on the commentary for a minute. A fantastic job by both men, Gorilla and the body, but Jesse Ventura especially, who was Super intense and interested in the match, even giving Hogan his kudos to give this thing the right feel. Rather than bury the good guy here, Jesse sold these two as equals, making this the greatest battle in wrestling history. With just weeks to work with, the WWF managed to sell out the gigantic Silverdome with this one epic encounter. And that, my friends, is why this match has such a huge aura surrounding it. Was the wrestling great? Not really, especially considering Andre could barely move. But the electricity behind the match is really all that it needed to prove itself 
as a legendary moment in time. Now, the match itself, it wasn't the prettiest thing, but nobody expected it to be. To be honest with you, it wasn't the worst thing ever either. They clearly had spots planned, and the psychology was there. The worst thing in the match came from Hogan taking that terrible quote-unquote bump on the floor. Very embarrassing there, Hulkster. But for all those who followed in suit to Dave Meltzer's original review and ripped the match without taking into consideration the situation, then just keep playing the sheep of the world. Keep listening to something Meltzer said 35 years ago. Now, this match was far from perfect, but it was hardly the worst match ever. I've seen worse in 2022, guys. And you have to think, even Dave by now has had his time to ponder his original comments, and he knows the magnitude of this match. It wasn't great, it wasn't even good, but it set out and did what it was supposed to. And for the internet nerds who were trained to turn their nose to anything that doesn't resemble a four-plus star match, keep in mind that this match somehow managed to entertain a good 80 to 90,000 fans in this arena, not counting the many more around the world. Listen to that pop for that body slam between Hogan and Andre. You're going to tell me nobody was interested in this match? Get the fuck out of here. Nobody woke up the next morning and asked, did you see the lack of work rate involved in the main event last night? So they did their job. There really isn't much more to it. Andre couldn't do a whole lot, but that slam and the pin at the end was really the big payoff here. This was the proving point that wrestling wasn't just about wrestling. It was about the spectacle and most certainly the story. Everyone was talking about this match going into WrestleMania, and it became a major piece of professional wrestling history afterwards. It was in the news, it was in the schools, it was in the work offices, and everyone was talking about the epic match where Hulkamania defeated the undefeated, where Hulk Hogan slammed and pinned Andre the Giant. Dave Meltzer gives this thing minus four stars? Gotta be shitting me, Dave. It wasn't the prettiest thing in the world, but if the fans add anything to the star ratings, which they always seem to do, I don't know how anyone can give a negative star to this match. And honestly, it wasn't as bad as some of the other stuff I've had to sit through in recent weeks. The match told a very basic story, and it worked in this instance. I'm going go, to give this thing two stars. So I think all night, within 12 matches, the first 11 matches, I don't know that I was ever outside of a half a star up or down from where Dave Meltzer was rating the matches. But here in the main event, just seems like a lot of bias here. Meltzer gave this thing minus four. I'm going to give it a positive, that's a plus, Dave, two stars here for Hogan and Andre. Now, as for the storyline at this point, Hogan has beaten the biggest monster possible, which means back to the drawing board for the challengers for the champion. Just in the past year, Hogan has knocked off the ultimate traitor and arguably is equal in Paul Mr. Wonderful Orndorff. Hulk has slayed the monsters King Kong Bundy, the Ugandan headhunter Kamala, and now Andre the Giant. And we won't see Andre back in the ring until the Survivor Series. And that's all the way in November. And that's when these two will pick up and continue their story in the ring. But for now, it's time to reset for the WWF champion. We'll have to wait and see what's next for Hulk Hogan here, heading into the spring of 87. And with Hogan picking up the epic win, the show concludes with Andre and Bobby Heenan seen riding off on the cart. Bobby with his head down in shame. Hogan in the ring posing for what seems like 10 minutes, brother. While Jesse Ventura and Gorilla Monsoon on commentary send us home from high atop the Silverdome. The show plays out to Aretha Franklin's hit, Who's Zoomin' Who? While featuring picture stills of the action from tonight's event, 
really telling a nice story of the entire show here as we conclude WrestleMania 3. Now, if you guys thought the wrestlers had a big bash immediately after the event, think again. Because of the monstrous crowd, the wrestlers hung around the Silverdome for a good three, three and a half hours after the event before they could actually leave the stadium. That'd be closer to 11 p.m. Eastern time. And I'm not saying the guys didn't go out and have a blast afterwards, but they had to wait a while. Hope they had a bunch of cases of beer sitting in the back. And I have no doubt that they did. Now, as for me, as we finish up the pay-per-view, in a word, exhausted. But in a good way, guys, it became obvious by the end of match number two, Hercules and Haynes, that this definitive edition was going to have to split into two epic episodes of The Grenade. There was just so much to tackle, and we're not even done yet. Yes, the pay-per-view has concluded, but I haven't even given you my final thoughts on the overall show. And I mean, it's WrestleMania 3, and by 2022 standards, the name should sell itself. And I'm not even going to try to sit here and try and sell you on this specific show. Even the youngest of fans have at least an inkling of the importance of this particular WrestleMania. I was just lucky enough to live through this boom period myself. Some people just focus on the work rate, but WrestleMania has so many more standards than just match participation. The fans, oh my god, the fans were into things huge all night long. The announcers spot on throughout the entire night. Even the celebrity guests got it. And Bob Euchre is likely one of, if not the best celebrity guest they were ever able to acquire from a getting it point of view. Bob never missed a beat on commentary, took the time to get to know the people involved. Unlike most of those celebrities who would follow him, Bob was just a true professional and, and really fit in here. He could have been WWF. Mary Hart tried her best, and she did very well compared to pretty much all the other females that came through the WrestleMania stages as a celebrity. And Mary, she also got it. And she also tried to fit in here. It was a case of two people who were genuinely happy to just be there as a part of this spectacle. Great job by Mary Hart and Bob Euchre. Let's talk just a little bit about the production. Not a single noticeable issue with the production. From the camera cuts to the audio to the promos and videos, the lighting as the sky became darker. This was high tech for any production company at the time, for any sporting event or any live event for that matter. Unbelievable production from the World Wrestling Federation here. And I know modern day fans have probably went back and watched this show. Hell, for years I went back and watched the show and even I had forgotten some of the small things done to further many of the storylines and build to some of these matches. The little things they did in the weeks leading up to WrestleMania I don't know that any other WrestleMania or pay-per-view for that matter has come close to giving this many matches meaning. Even the least of the matches like Coco and Reed had something going on leading into it. Then they managed to squeeze just about every major star you could think of into one night. 12 matches doesn't leave room for a lot of long matches with the just over three hour allotted period they were given, but everybody did well with what they had to work with here. And one thing that could be said with the booking, if the fans were getting shortchanged in match time, they were getting memorable finishes, post-match shenanigans, and other angles in between. If WrestleMania 3 did one thing, it left a memory of each and every match imprinted in your mind. Of course, the main event matches gave us all those feel-good moments from Piper to Steamboat to Hogan, while the heels went over where need be with Harley Race remaining the king, the Hearts and Davis continuing their feud with the Bulldog, Hockey Talk Man continuing to be built up in his feud with Jake the Snake Roberts, and even some of the wrestlers who lost their matches were given memorable post-match spots. Beefcake turning babyface, shaving the head of Adonis, the Junkyard Dog send-off, Jake the Snake going after Jimmy Hart, Tito Santana tearing into the Slickster, 
Another case of everyone coming to work here tonight, even if they weren't all handed lengthy matches. They made sure to get themselves over with what they were given, make the best of the time they were given, and it really kept the energy of the night flowing all night long. Oh yeah, and I gotta go back to the fans. Kudos to the 93, the 78, the 85, however many thousand fans were truly in attendance here. They never got tired, they never got lazy, they never lost interest all night long. They were alive and absolutely made the show all that much more enjoyable for me, and I'm sure for you, and I'm sure some of that had to do with the amazing storytelling that made everything on the card feel important, or at least engaging. Now, having gotten burned out on WrestleMania 3 by the late 1990s, I had probably watched the Coliseum video version and even the late 90s home video version so many times. I really hadn't sat through this entire show in quite a while, and I'm actually glad I finally did. I'd seen this show so much over the first decade that it came out that I thought maybe it was overhyped, but I'm happy to say that's simply not the case here. It truly belongs among the best, because while there aren't several five-star matches, there are plenty of fun little memorable moments that will forever be embedded into my mind. And how many WrestleManias can you say that about? And of course, we got all those great angles, the Savage Steamboat Classic, the Hogan-Andre Showdown. It had something for everybody. There's no way you can watch this show and not find something you like on it. And I've had people say, Ray, you're reviewing a year, an era, with only two pay-per-views to cover. There's not a whole lot of quote-unquote big shows here in 1987. And to that I say, yeah, that's true. But one of those pay-per-views was WrestleMania three. So from the production to the announcers, to the celebrities, to the epic match of Savage and Steamboat, to Hulk Hogan slaying the giant and everything in between, this was WrestleMania three, the definitive edition. But we're not done yet, guys. Lots more to cover here on the fallout of WrestleMania three. And we're going to start things off with some fun facts and some misconceptions about this epic event. And I'm going to start off talking about the referees. And we touched on this in the first episode of The Grenade, but I'm going to talk about it a lot more here. We had five referees to cover these 12 matches here on the card. John Bonello and Jack Kruger, both former wrestlers themselves, referees here, as well as Dave Hebner, all tied with three matches each. All three of these men given three matches here on the card. And Hebner got some good ones here. He got the Savage Steamboat match, of course, Piper and Adonis. So three of the referees tied with three matches. That's nine of the 12 matches. What happened to the other three matches? Why did these other two referees get to split three matches? Well, one of those referees being Jack Lotz, who gets tossed a bone here, gets to work that mixed tag match with Bundy Hillbilly Jim and the little guys. And our fifth referee, the son of the late great Gorilla Monsoon, Joey Morella, is given two matches to officiate here at WrestleMania, opening the show with the Can-Am Connection. I presume just to check out and soak in what he's going to be doing here later tonight, officiating the opening match as well as the closing match. Morella, the referee for the Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan bout to close WrestleMania here. No shocker, referee Rita Marie, nowhere to be seen. And we saw her earlier here in March, at least at the Boston Garden. She might even be gone by this point, not really sure, but I doubt Vince would have given her a match here either way. If I can just be picky just for a moment, would have loved to see Dick Worley over Jack Lotz here. Would have been cool to see Worley on the show. Not sure if he would have made the travel, but just saying few other fun little notes before we get to even more WrestleMania news. Some fans reported that parking was a bear for this event. Some fans had to park more than a mile and a half away and make the hike to the Silverdome. I don't doubt that. Other fans reported there had to be at least 
15,000 people turned away outside tailgating that couldn't get into the event. Now, I think 15,000 a little on the high side, but I think if anything, pictures have proven there were absolutely fans outside tailgating and many who were turned away at the door couldn't get in. WrestleMania 3, a sold-out event days, if not weeks, in advance. Also, Violent J of the Insane Clown Posse attended WrestleMania, though he didn't pay for a ticket. No, no, Violent J does it the juggalo way here. Sneaking into the event, Jay said he couldn't get a ticket, so he snuck in and finally sat down on the steps in the nosebleed seats. He said in his song, Miracles, we say something about, I've seen 85,000 people all in one room together as equals. And that was WrestleMania 3 that I was talking about. That's what I felt on that epic night. 85,000 fans, all as equals. It's also been reported that Kevin Nash and Rob Van Dam were in attendance for this show, which makes sense. Nash from Detroit, Rob Van Dam from nearby Battle Creek. Now, as for misconceptions, this one bothered me a little bit, so I wanted to touch on this here. It's been pointed out on multiple websites and reviews that the heels win all night long except for four pivotal matches, those being Hulk, Piper, Steamboat, and of course the up-and-coming Can-Am connection. Makes sense. You want to enhance your babyface's wins by putting the heels over and all of the other matches then giving Hulk, Piper, and Steamboat those big wins, and the Can-Am's win means even more to their upcoming expected big push. And while I agree it does put more emphasis on these wins, I must point out, guys, Hillbilly Jim also got a win. So that throws this whole concept out the window. Five baby faces went over, guys, not four. And you've been waiting for it for nearly two full episodes. It's time to talk WrestleMania 3 payoffs. Wait for it. Okay, he's not going to say it. So here it is, WrestleMania 3 payoffs. Playoffs? Don't talk about it. Playoffs? Oh, there it was. Payouts for the main event. Reportedly, Bobby Heenan received $100,000. It's almost a quarter of a million in 2022 money. It's reported that Bobby took that money and immediately bought a home in Florida with it for his family. Good for you, Bobby Heenan. Also, reportedly, Hulk Hogan made $750,000 for this show. Also, Andre making $750,000 for the show, plus an additional $250K for doing the job and simply going out there in the shape he was in, I would imagine. So it's reported that Hogan made $750,000 and Andre $750,000, but an additional $250,000, giving Andre a million here. Now, since that time, Jesse Ventura has quoted via his lawsuit deposition with the WWF that he was given the financials for WrestleMania and that he claims Hulk Hogan got more than everyone on the card combined including Andre. Now, I don't doubt that, but I'm a little curious if Jesse was just over-exaggerating. So you guys say Hogan and Andre, okay, they made it. They made it big here. Bobby Heenan, he did well for himself, and he did a hell of a job. One of the MVPs of the night is Bobby the Brain Heenan. But what about the underneath guys? What did the guys make on the lower card here at WrestleMania? Reportedly, at least confirmed by certain wrestlers, guys like, and I'm talking the Coco Bewares, the Butch Reeds, the Killer Bees, the Can-Am Connection. It's reported those guys received $10,000 payouts for their matches on the card. And as for the mid-carders, like Bret Hart, Bret himself stated in his book that he received $15,000 for WrestleMania 3. Think about that. 15 k presumably times six here in that six-man tag team match. That's $90,000 for that six-man tag, plus whatever Jimmy Hart got paid for the night. No wonder Vince hated tag team matches. And now here's a fun segment I know you've all been waiting for. I call it Missing from Mania. As we take a look, Lots of names have been thrown around over the years. Lots of what ifs 
Lots of fantasy booking has been done, but only a few are truly realistic in making it to WrestleMania that were actually left off the show. Now, we can always talk about the honorable mentions here of guys like Leaping Lanny Poffo, Corporal Kirchner, Jimmy Jack Funk, Mr. Everything, Pedro Morales, C.V. Afi, Salvatore Belomo, who just left the company prior to this, Paul Roma, Steve Lombardi, Tony Gurria, Terry Gibbs, Special Delivery Jones, Jerry Allen, all did their jobs well as enhancement talent, worked hard to make the superstars who did make it onto WrestleMania look great headed into the big event. But let's face it, none of these guys were ever going to make it on the card. But now we move on to some of the bigger names here. Lots of people have always tried to fantasy book the new U.S. Express onto the show. That's Mike Rotunda and Dan Spivey. But the reality of it is Mike Rotunda left the company in the middle of February. He's been gone for a month and a half. And Danny Spivey suffered another major knee injury just two weeks prior to WrestleMania 3. So there was no way either one of these guys were going to make it onto the card. Also, let's talk about Mike Rotunda's father-in-law, Blackjack Mulligan, who's also part of the WWF at this time. Now, while it looks like he's about to be entrenched in a feud with outlaw Ron Bass, the reality is that Blackjack Mulligan has only one more TV match that he'll be filming, and that's a a throwaway six-man tag team match. Now, his matches will continue to air into April, maybe even May TV, but essentially, he's all but gone here from the company by WrestleMania 3. Just wanted to set the narrative straight there with Blackjack Mulligan and the U.S. Express. Now let's look at some of the other names here, some of the guys we really haven't seen a whole lot of here in 1987. We start right off with Outlaw Ron Bass, also new to the company, and let's face it, the way he was brought in on a six-man enhancement talent team, cutting insert promos up in the corner of the screen, hasn't really done a whole lot here. Outlaw Ron Bass, as of yet, in the company, simply here meant to work the underneath mid-card and and fill out those C-shows is the Outlaw. So. Could they have thrown him on the pay-per-view? Would it have been offensive? No. Outlaw versus Blackjack Mulligan in a three-minute throwaway? Doesn't bother me a bit, but at the end of the day, Bass has only been here a couple months, and he really hasn't done anything to merit a spot here on the card. From there, yeah, he's still here. The Rebel Dick Slater, who just never seemed to get over here in this 86-87 run with the company, hasn't even been on syndicated TV once here in 1987 that I can recall. So I guess it's easy to say the writing's on the wall. Dick Slater went off the road with everyone else on March 20th, and he'll return for about a half a dozen house shows in the month of May. But another name that's basically all but gone from the company at this point is Dick Slater. Outback Jack, another newcomer as well. Questionable name to be part of WrestleMania, and it already feels like they've given up on old Outback. He made that one debut match on syndicated TV. We really haven't seen a whole lot of them since that time outside of the house shows. Sika, the Wild Samoan. Eh, could argue that one either way. A tag team with Kamala here in WrestleMania, maybe? Or maybe versus Coco Beware on the undercard? Had they done Reed and Tito? I could see Coco and Sika. I know they had a match on primetime recently. Not really a travesty of justice, as Gorilla would say, that Sika misses this show, but had he been a part, another one I wouldn't have argued with. As we move on, the Islanders, Haku and Tama. Wow, seems like all the South Pacific guys left off the card. Honestly, they could have easily filled the Bs or the Rujos spot here with the Islanders, but of course in the Rujos match, they're feuding with Dino Bravo, so they really couldn't move the Islanders in in place of the Rujos there either. So the Islanders just kind of the odd team out, unfortunately, here, especially with those Rujos tying into that Bravo new Dream Team storyline. But Haku, he might have beat up Duggan for interfering, come to think of it. Had the Islanders replaced the Bs in that match with Sheik and Volkov, had Duggan cost them the match, Haku may have turned heel 
right there, right then. And we can't have that now, can we? Honestly, though, the Islanders, talented as all hell, but really just not getting a push right now here in the company, which should change to a degree here soon. From there, we look at George the Animal Steel. Jim Myers, a man from Detroit, Michigan, who has went on shoot interviews since this time and said he was bummed, said it broke his heart that he didn't get to wrestle at WrestleMania 3. He was essentially 14 miles down the road from his house and didn't even get to get in the ring. But on the other end, his spot on the card was a good story, I thought, and he was an important part of the finish of the Steamboat Savage match. Could he have had the Hillbilly Jim spot on the card? Well, I guess anybody could have. But at the end of the day, his spot in the Intercontinental title match was more memorable for me. And I get the unhappiness here, though, for the animal. But let's be real. For a guy who couldn't do a whole lot during this stage of his career, he was utilized to the utmost of his ability at the time, and and then some, getting to work all these Saturday night's main event shows with Savage, and somehow, somehow appearing on three WrestleMania events here in the 1980s as well. Though I do feel for George the Animal Steel there, we continue to look at names here like Dino Bravo. And I'll lump him in here with George Steele, more the same of the animal. Bravo's spot as the corner man made more sense here with the Dream Team versus the Rougeos because an undercard win here for Dino Bravo wouldn't mean anything. So his spot with the Dream Team was fine with me. And of course, they formed a new Dream Team there. Plus, do we really ever need a late 80s Dino Bravo match anyway? I mean, seriously, guys. And then we move on to the tag team of Axe and Smash, Demolition. Now, I feel that this one's noticeable based on what they accomplished down the road versus what they are here in March of 87. But in reality, they'd only been with the company three months, let's remember. And Barry Darso is Smash only with the company for two months at this point. You have to also remember they just changed managers at the TV taping prior to WrestleMania, and that won't even make air for another month on TV. Now, Demolition did get a little play in the Saturday night's main event Battle Royal Smash coming down to the final three with Hercules and Billy Jack Haynes. Now, could they have worked a match with the Killer Bees, the Rougeos, or the, even the Islanders here? Sure they could have. And it would have been awesome to see Demolition in that Silverdome setting. But the reality is, the characters themselves were still being fine-tuned at this point, and they just weren't ready for prime time, I suppose. What about this name, often overlooked, re-signed with the WWF in 1986, but went down with an injury before he could even return? I'm talking about the superstar, Billy Graham. And you won't believe this one. Billy Graham was originally scheduled to return and feud with the Intercontinental Champion, the Macho Man Randy Savage, leading to Graham taking the title from Savage at WrestleMania 3. Yes, that's right. You heard me right. Superstar Graham was Savage's original picked opponent for WrestleMania 3, and he would have got a run with the Intercontinental title here in 87, but his health just never held up. And we'll see that story again later here in 87 as well with the superstar. And that's when they pivoted to Randy Savage's next idea of Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Savage, knowing they'd have great matches, offering to drop the strap to the steamer here at WrestleMania 3. But think about that just for a minute, Randy Savage and Superstar Graham Maybe not the classic match that we got with Steamboat and Savage, but man, think about the promos leading in. Here's another big name left off the card. Ho, tough guy, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Didn't have a match here at WrestleMania, but you got to remember he was brand new to the company. Outside of a few vignettes, made his syndicated debut just the week prior to WrestleMania 3. So the fact that he was even on the show at all 
is simply amazing. Remember just a couple months ago when it was announced Duggan would be coming in, Dave Meltzer speculated it would be Hacksaw and Kamala at WrestleMania. One of the WWF magazines even alluded to something along those lines, but it wasn't meant to be. Hacksaw barely gets on TV in time for the big pay-per-view event and immediately paired with the Iron Sheik and to a lesser extent Nikolai Volkov. And now we've run down a list of names that could have participated. Some weren't able to have participated here in WrestleMania 3. Those are all names that have been batted around for years. But now let's get to the big three. Three names that realistically could have and should have wrestled here at WrestleMania. And all of them left off the card. And we're going to start right away here with the Ugandan headhunter. I'm talking about Kamala. Kamala, the last superstar to headline with Hulk Hogan on the house shows leading in to WrestleMania 3 here. So why not throw him a bone and give him a match? Why not Kamala versus Bundy? Battle of the Splashes. Remember that buildup on TV just a couple months ago? We never got that. And hey, you could have gave King Curtis a payday on his way out. Or like I said a little bit ago, Kamala and Sika versus the Bees. Throw that somewhere else on the card. Let Bruno work the Sheik. And have Nikolai and Duggan do the run-ins for that match. Really odd that Kamala was left off WrestleMania here. Not really fair to the big guy. And now the most talked about and most glaring omission from WrestleMania. I'm talking about Mr. Wonderful himself, Paul Orndorff. And for years, it's been rumored. Reportedly, Orndorff was to be the backup plan for Andre the Giant if the Giant couldn't go on show day. And I'm not so sure about that. You see, Orndorff was off the road with everyone else going into WrestleMania, but he doesn't return until June. Now, could Paul have worked the WrestleMania event? Go back and watch his matches from March in Boston and Philly, Maple Leaf Gardens headed in, and judge for yourself. I can't tell you how Orndorff felt that day, but could he have worked the show? It seems likely. Rumors were, though, that Paul was paid a sum of money to stand by and do nothing for this event. Now, when Orndorff was asked about that, he certainly didn't seem to recall that supposed payoff for doing nothing. And Paul loved letting people know when he got one over on the promoters, so I just don't know that that was a thing. Now, since that time, Paul's son, Travis, seems to confirm that his father, Mr. Wonderful, was indeed the backup plan for WrestleMania, but Dave Meltzer and some of the others in the know dispute that possibility here. Now, if not true, it's fun folklore. And remember that Saturday night's main event finish from January did leave the possibility of a rematch available between Mr. Wonderful and Hulk Hogan. But Orndorff was getting very little mention, very little play on TV all the way into the pay-per-view even by Bobby Heenan on primetime heading into this event. So it seemed like they were putting Orndorff on the back burner. And here's the biggest tell of them all. If Paul Orndorff was there as a standby to replace Andre, if he couldn't go at WrestleMania 3, then why wasn't Paul Orndorff at WrestleMania 3? Think about that. And the last name that comes to mind, a big omission for me personally, and that is the living legend Bruno San Martino. And it really hurts me to know that Bruno didn't get to walk out and see this crowd after everything he put into this business, everything he put into the WWF and now the WWF, even stepping into the ring to fill in at house shows when he didn't even have to. So why can't we have seen Bruno versus the Sheik here one-on-one? Like I said, have Nikolai do the run, have Duggan make the save there, or even, hey, Bruno and Duggan as a tag team versus Sheik and Volkov. Talk about money there. Hell, even throw him a bone. Make him a corner man. We've seen several of those here tonight. Put him in the corner of Hogan, even. Would have been fun to see Bobby Heenan sell for Bruno there. So the big three for me, Bruno Sammartino, yes, I know he was an announcer, but he was also still used 
and I do mean used, anytime Vince McMahon could get him in the ring to replace some of his injured superstars, it was just awkward for me to know that Bruno San Martino was part of the company and they couldn't find something for him to do throughout the course of this near three and a half hour event. Now, Kamala, I feel like he was completely ripped off here. Paul Orndorff, I don't know the story. Was he the standby? A lot of people say yes. A lot of people say no, he wasn't. For years, I like to pretend that he was. Now I'm not so sure about that. But after coming off a near year-long feud with the WWF champion, selling out house shows left and right, you would think they would have wanted to do something with Mr. Wonderful here at WrestleMania 3. So of all the names that were left off the show, the three names for me, most realistically, that should have been part of that show, Bruno San Martino, Kamala, and of course, Mr. Wonderful. As we move on to the WrestleMania fallout, not only does it affect the WWF's business moving forward, but it affects the entire landscape of professional wrestling. And that includes the UWF promoter Bill Watts, who has said after watching WrestleMania 3 that he knew immediately he was done. He couldn't compete. There was no point moving forward with his UWF promotion. And ultimately, Watts would work out a deal pretty quickly here to sell to Jim Crockett Promotions. Also, Houston promoter Paul Bosch would go on to make a deal and hand over his Houston territory to Vince McMahon without putting up much of a fight, probably because he knew there wouldn't be much of one. Bosch knew he simply couldn't defeat Vince McMahon, so he joined them, albeit briefly. Also, the next big heel in the WWF saw money signs when he saw WrestleMania 3, ironically, because it was Ted DiBiase who reportedly saw WrestleMania 3 called up his UWF boss Bill Watts and said, I got to be part of that. I got to be part of the WWF. I need out of my UWF agreement. And Bill Watts, feeling the same way, asked Teddy, hold steady for a while here. Let me make a deal with Jim Crockett because having guys like Ted DiBiase in place might garner Watts' UWF a higher price tag. Now, Crockett initially made a guarantee for Ted DiBiase to go over to JCP, but DiBiase thought long-term and wound up siding with the WWF offer at the end of the day. We'll talk a lot more about that coming up on our next edition of The Grenade. But speaking of JCP, Crockett, too, saw WrestleMania 3, and apparently who did it? But more specifically, Crockett saw the money to be made off of pay-per-view. Up until this point, JCP was mildly successful locally with the closed-circuit television, but national pay-per-view was where the money was at. Enter Starcade 87 coming to pay-per-view this Thanksgiving. However, the success of WrestleMania 3 also allowed Vince to threaten cable companies promising to pull his pay-per-views from their cable availability if they aired other wrestling pay-per-views, ultimately screwing Crockett and Starcade 87, running the inaugural Survivor Series pay-per-view up against Starcade and making cable companies pick between the two. Now, as you might imagine, most picked the WWF after the success here of WrestleMania 3. So following these issues, the cable companies put down their own demands, telling both the WWF and the NWA they won't make them choose. They will make money off of both or neither. But the damage had already been done. Jim Crockett had dug his own grave, lost their ass on Starcade 87, never recovered, and along with other mismanagement of money, Crockett would have to sell to Ted Turner in 1988. All of this because of WrestleMania 3. Think about that. And at the end of the day, this pay-per-view was the really big final hump that Vince McMahon had to make it over 
to really set the WWF to coast after this for quite a while. The WWF living off their popularity, which really exploded during this boom period right here. And we're getting down to the nitty gritty now as we talk WrestleMania final figures, guys. Now, if we go back to the late 80s in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter, this is what DeMeltz originally came up with for facts and figures here at the Silver Dome in WrestleMania 3. He said that there were 90,873 fans paid in attendance here. And you heard it from the horse's mouth. He also originally believed the 93,000 were in fact in attendance. Now, since that time, obviously, since speaking to Zane Bresloff and uh, supposedly some others as well, He's had to rearrange this, but according to the Observer in the late 80s, there were 90,873 fans paid of those 93,000 plus in those seats for a grand total of nearly $1.6 million just in ticket sales. Damn. And you have to remember, Michigan and even some parts of Ontario, Canada were blacked out of pay-per-view and had very few closed-circuit venues, forcing the locals to make the drive to watch the show. Brilliant strategies once again to sell out this event, though I'm not even sure if it was necessary. Now we move on and we look at the closed circuit numbers here. In the United States, it was estimated over 375,000 fans came to see WrestleMania 3 via closed circuit television for a gross of $4.5 million. Then up in Canada, another 85,000 fans came out to watch WrestleMania on closed circuit for a grand total of over 1670000 That's U.S. dollars, guys. The total estimated worldwide for WrestleMania on closed circuit, 550,000 fans came out to see the big event, enabling the WWF to grow $6.8 million just in closed circuit revenue. But if you think that's something, we were talking about Crockett realizing money was to be made on pay-per-view, the total grossing figure for WrestleMania 3 via pay-per-view was $10.3 million. When you factor in all the video sales, the souvenirs, and etc., WrestleMania grossed nearly $20 million in 1987 money. Now, since that time, DeMeltz has said it's somewhere actually between $17.5 to $18 million that WrestleMania grossed. And if that is in fact correct, which I don't doubt that it is, that's $47 million in today's money. WrestleMania 3, had it happened today, grossed $47 million. Was that a success? Yeah, I think so. Vince McMahon had to be very happy after WrestleMania 3. I'm sure a lot of things changed in the World Wrestling Federation after this giant event, which brings us down to the final question of the program. The big question. Where are we at now? And what I mean is, what are the superstars doing coming out of WrestleMania? Where do we go next? Now, it does appear a lot of feuds may continue. We know Jake the Snake Roberts and the Honky Tonk Man will go on as Honky and Jimmy Hart look to ban the DDT. Good luck with that, guys. Plus, from what we saw at WrestleMania, no doubt that Billy Jack Haynes is looking for revenge on the mighty Hercules. You'd also have to imagine the natural Butch Reed coming for revenge on behalf of his manager Slick against Tito Santana. Plus, after Danny Davis stole that pinfall win over Davey Boy Smith, it does appear that the Hart Foundation Bulldogs feud will continue on. And it also appears that Savage versus Steamboat is on the docket for post-WrestleMania. It doesn't appear to be done yet, though it feels like we've actually peaked here with Steamboat winning the title. These two will continue to compete in rematches, including several steel cage matches. 
We also see some new feuds coming out of WrestleMania. Of course, Hacksaw Jim Duggan against Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. We started setting that up a week or two ago on TV. It continues here through WrestleMania. Duggan's scheduled to wrestle the Iron Sheik next week on TV. It also appears Brutus Beefcake will continue his issues with the adorable Adrian Adonis. And now Dino Bravo has found himself a partner in Greg the Hammer Valentine, the new dream team. Bravo now has a partner in his feud against the fabulous Rujo brothers. So we start looking at some of these matches, Duggan and the Iron Sheik, Adonis and Beefcake, the new dream team and the Rujos. I wrote, eh, thank goodness there's a major influx of talent headed in very soon. And as for the WWF champion Hulk Hogan, new challenges ahead for the Hulkster, no doubt. And it'll be interesting to see where things go coming out of the biggest event in wrestling history. I think we can certainly expect a cool-down period, I'd imagine, but also expect the start of a new season here, guys. But we'll talk about all of that next time on the April 87 News Edition of The Grenade. Lots of new stars headed in. Lots of changes coming here in the WWF. But what an epic event and what an epic time I had breaking this thing down from every aspect I possibly could. It was a tedious assignment that I handed myself, but well worth it at the end of the day. If there was anything you ever wanted to know about WrestleMania 3, hopefully you found it somewhere here in this two-part podcast on The Grenade. And for those who want to hear this show straight through WrestleMania 3 Part 1 and Part 2, check back soon. A bonus edition of The Grenade will be up soon. You'll be able to listen to the show here from beginning to end on WrestleMania 3, the definitive edition. Can't thank you guys enough for your support. Looking forward to see what happens next as the project goes on. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Remember this great day forever. WrestleMania 3 commemorative items are available right now at souvenir stands as well as by mail order. The WrestleMania 3 program, filled with brand new color photos, is available for $5. This unique baseball-style cap is $10. And this commemorative T-shirt can be yours in small, medium, or large, or even extra large, for only $12. To order by mail, send a check in the correct amount to WWF Merchandise, Post Office Box 67. Stamford, Connecticut, 06904. That's World Wrestling Federation Merchandise, P.O. Box 6789, Stamford, Connecticut, 06904. And that'll wrap it up. WrestleMania 3, the definitive edition, is in the books. And my gosh, what a fun two weeks it has been here on The Grenade. It's been my pleasure to bring to you WrestleMania 3 in, in WrestleCopia format. From Piper and Adonis to Savage and Steamboat, the Bulldogs and Santana versus the Hart Foundation and Davis, the Hockey Tonk Man, Jake the Snake Roberts, and of course, Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant. What a blast it was to cover this, and I hope you guys, I hope this brought some nostalgic memories back to you as I covered this event. An event so huge that we had to spread it across two episodes here of The Grenade, and I hope you guys really enjoyed it. I got a lot of great feedback. Over the Thanksgiving holiday weekend, from many of the listeners of the first half of WrestleMania 3, I hope to hear from you guys yet again, and maybe some new listeners joining in now that both parts are up. You can listen to the whole show, and you can look for a special bonus edition of The Grenade dropping at some point soon when I combine both episodes of The Grenade into one big show for those interested in listening to everything straight through. Should make a nice bonus gift for the upcoming holiday season. 
Nevertheless, it was a fun time and a fun ride getting here to WrestleMania 3. Three months in the books now in 1987 in the WWF, but the project continues. Three down, nine to go, nine more months of WWF. I'll be back very soon as we begin to discuss the fallout from WrestleMania 3, all the news, results, and so much more in regards to the month of April here in 1987 in the WWF. A reminder, you can follow us on Twitter at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also, follow and like us on Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade. Constantly adding nostalgic videos and images on our social media accounts and always adding new footage each and every week to our YouTube account over at YouTube.com slash Wrestling Grenade. And of course, as I've already asked you at the beginning of the show, if you can give us a try just one month, see what you think. The $5 all-access tier is the way to go over at patreon.com slash wrestlecopia. That's patreon.com slash wrestlecopia. Now, there's multiple tiers to choose from there. You guys can look around. A price affordable for anyone. Various prices there, various offers. But the $5 all-access tier is where I just say, hey, give us a try. Tell us what you think. Lots of great gifts come with that all-access tier, including all of my insanely detailed show notes for the grenade, for Monday Warfare, for the upcoming regional wrestling podcast, You'll also receive early access to many of the upcoming podcasts here on the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, digital downloads for your viewing and reading pleasure, remastered versions of the earliest episodes of The Grenade covering the NWA in 1989. Those remastered versions include enhanced audio and new conversations originally edited out of the show, edited back in. You'll hear them for the first time ever as an all-access tier member, and it doesn't end there. You'll also have access to the Patreon-exclusive watch-along series covering many past WWF and WCW pay-per-views, Saturday night's main events, Clash of the Champions, Coliseum videos, and so much more. All of that for the low, low price of $5. No subscription. Cancel anytime. Give it a go for a month. I think you're going to like what we offer. And every penny you donate, every penny you give, goes right back into the WrestleCopia Podcast Network to help keep all of our shows. Monday Warfare, the Wrestling Memory Grenade, the upcoming Regional Wrestling Podcast, Tom Robinson says he's returning here soon. New TR shocks the world's on the way right around the corner as well. Keep all of that and more up and running for the months and the years to come. And WrestleMania 3 may have very well been the most epic pay-per-view, the most epic big event we've covered here thus far in the history of the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. And I don't mind telling you guys it was a tedious process. I didn't just watch the show and discuss what I saw on the screen. As you guys know by now, we've been dissecting and analyzing, researching every aspect of everything going on behind the scenes, as well as from television here, heading all the way into the big pay-per-view. It's been a lot of work, not counting all the editing and the sound bites, the videos going up on YouTube. I can't really say much more than it's been a lot of work. So I can't express to you how much your comments, your your kind words that I've received through DMs and on Twitter and on Facebook about our recent episode Part one of WrestleMania 3, how much that meant to me. It made everything all worthwhile. Because I don't mind telling you guys, this was a, a, a heck of a project to tackle. Anyone can watch a show, watch along with you. Anybody can watch a show, take a few notes, and write down a list of what they saw or heard on a TV screen. I wanted to make this definitive, as you guys may know by now. And by that, I meant I wanted to cover every aspect of the show, every nook and cranny, everything I could uncover from things like Gordie Howe and Samantha Fox canceling out of the event to the tidbits and behind-the-scenes stories I could find and share with you as well. I even tried to answer some of the listeners' questions that I had answers for 
I tried to hit everything I could so that anybody who had any questions in regards to this event, you could point them in the direction here of episodes 73 and 74 of The Grenade and say, go listen to this guy. Chances are your questions will be answered if you listen to this show. At least that's what I was going for. I hope I continue to entertain you guys in between the behind-the-scenes news while breaking down the results, the sound bites, etc. I really put my heart and soul into this WrestleMania 3 project, and I hope it shows. And we will continue to do that here on The Grenade because we don't half-ass anything here on the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. That is one promise I can always make you. Now that said, and all of that out of the way, I want to thank you guys one final time, all of our loyal listeners here, not just for WrestleMania 3, but just for the WrestleCopia Podcast Network in general. We really appreciate you. Without you, we wouldn't be here. It's your interest and your kind words that keep my drive going each and every week. And for that, I can't thank you enough. But with all of that out of the way, we will be back soon as we begin the fallout from WrestleMania 3. We'll look into April of 1987 in the WWF. And you guys wouldn't believe the shakeup. And I touched on it a bit before with Paul Bosch and Jim Crockett, Bill Watts and the like. But we are getting ready to see a major influx in talent coming to the WWF like you wouldn't believe. We're going to talk all about that in the upcoming April news edition of The Grenade. But for now, I hope you guys enjoyed WrestleMania 3, The Grenade Way. And until next time, this is Ray Russell saying from pillar to post and coast to coast. You pull the pin and we'll pick up the pieces right here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. I'll see you next week. Don't miss it. Be there! A brand new indoor attendance record of 93,173. Give yourself a big hand. The irresistible force meeting the immovable object. You know, of course, Gorilla, the B stands for buckwheat. No, it doesn't. Oh, yes, it does. He told me he's got a brother, too, named Stymie. Where's a derby? History beckons the macho man, yeah. I will come away with the championship belt and see new horizons. The definitive edition of WrestleMania 3.